Show Music Written and recorded by Jedediah B Follow on Instagram at sentient underscore vent Thank you for listening Now back to your scheduled program To the Dirty Decibel. I am Matt A, your host and touring sound engineer. See, for the past decade, I've been traveling the world as a roadie to the stars. And over that time, I've met and worked with some extraordinary people. And now, I'd like to share with you some of their own personal stories. Through our conversations, my goal is to bring a rare and candid perspective to their ups to their downs, and to their all-arounds. This is the show where you will truly find beauty in the dirt. Let's roll. Hey, what's up, everyone? We're back with a brand new episode. That's right, we're coming in hot with another amazing guest, whom I've actually known for the better part of 12 years now as he and I both came up around the same time working in the Los Angeles music scene, where our paths inevitably crossed and our friendship eventually began. So when I sat down with my guest from his house in the cool east side neighborhood of Silver Lake, California, I was super excited to catch up with him and take some time to just dig a little deeper into his musical journey. I mean, seriously, we get into some pretty interesting stuff throughout the episode. From his beginnings growing up in small town Maine, where at a young age his love of music first started when his mom signed him up for piano lessons, to then years later as an inquisitive teenager, discovering his true passion for rock music, realizing that just how much he connected to bands like Nirvana, Tool, Soundgarden, and even to the band Fish, who we actually end up talking about more than we both had anticipated. But once my guest revealed how much he has actually seen Fish in concert, I couldn't help but want to hear more. And it was also during that time my guest shares how his infatuation with music started to lean more towards the engineering and production side of things. To where after high school, he ended up attending an audio trade school in Maryland with ambitions of one day becoming a music producer. So once my guest completed his audio certification, he then decided to take his newly acquired skills to the land of opportunity, otherwise known as Los Angeles. (laughs) That's right. And that's when things really started to happen for my guest, as he was on a relentless hustle to try and find work at any club or venue in town, eventually getting his first break at one of the Sunset Strip's most popular clubs at the time. As well, my guest talks about how he ended up becoming more involved in the Los Angeles music scene when he began working for the local show promoter, Can of Jam helping them book bands, and then also helping them promote their shows, which was a great learning experience for my guest, and it allowed him the ability to keep his finger on the pulse of the local music scene, discovering new bands, and further building his network of musicians and friends alike. Which eventually led my guest to the pivotal moment in his career when he got hired at the iconic Hollywood music venue, 
the Hotel Cafe. And it was during that time when he was really able to fine-tune his mixing skills by working with an endless pool of talented musicians, legitimately establishing himself as a top-notch sound engineer. But after many years and hundreds of mixed shows there at the Hotel Cafe, my guest was looking to take the next step in his career. So when the opportunity presented itself, my guest ended up leaving the local club scene behind to further pursue his goal of touring the world as a freelance audio engineer with one of his favorite local bands, Crash Kings. And then also in our chat, my guest and I will discuss his inspiration and creation of one of LA's most hidden treasures, the Fire Pit Sessions, which my guest founded in 2012 and best describes it as a carefully cultivated house concert experience providing an intimate backyard garden setting where guests can enjoy the best local rock and folk music in a stripped down and acoustic manner. I mean, how cool is that? It truly is a magical gift that my guest has been giving back to the local music community. And it was great to hear him give some insight, you know, to how the Fire Pit Sessions first started, to how it's grown over the years, both musically and technically, and to how his original vision was ultimately brought to life by all of the incredible musicians that have played there. My guest really enjoys playing a friendly game of speed chess, and a couple of his favorite sounding clubs in the U.S. are the 930 Club in Washington, D.C., and of course, the legendary Troubadour here in Los Angeles. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the Dirty Decibel, my good friend, and the bird to my magic, the deeply intuitive and highly introspective, Adam Labov. Hello, may I speak to Adam LaBeouf, please? Yeah, you got him right here. How are you? Hey, Adam, what's up, man? I'm Roger, man. I'm friends with Matt A. You know, um, you know, he was telling me you were going to be a guest on the show, and I got kind of excited. But then I learned that you were from, like, the New England area, you know, and that you were a big Larry Bird fan. I was like, what the heck? Yeah. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> it's all about Magic Johnson, my friend. All about Magic Johnson. You know, Bird and, Bird and you know, Larry Bird and Magic Johnson, you know, they were like uh, peanut butter and jelly. But, you know, no, 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 no. Let's just get this straight before you come on my show. <laughs> <laughs> What's up, dog? Yeah, man. Nice to see you. You too. And props to Magic, too. You can't hate on Magic. Magic. That's right. Magic's, Magic's the man, you know? Magic's just a great basketball player. He's the best I've ever seen. He's Showtime, baby. Showtime is coming down on a fast break. Looking left and throwing right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah no, no hate on Magic. No hate, no hate. Well, that's funny. <laughs> I just, I had, to, I had to throw that in there because I was, when I was like learning more about you, I was like, yeah. You mentioned something about Larry Bird. I was like, okay. And then well, I was like, ah, oh, he's from Maine. That makes sense now. Yeah, yeah, I got to see my Celtics take that game seven last night. And maybe, that was maybe so we'll, sweet. Maybe we'll have a Lakers Celtics. That's final. what I'm talking about. Let's, That's exactly. Let's, let's do it. Because yep. what was it? 07 was the last one? Something like uh, that? No, it was 09. 09? Yeah, 09. Yeah. 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 They did two, two years, twice in three years. Right. In the finals. And we didn't do very well in the last one. There was. No, it went some, Game 7, though. It went Game yeah, 7. Yeah, it, it did go Game 7. I remember that. Yeah. There were some so, calls. I remember that. 
Yeah, some, Kobe some got a few calls. Some, some questionable calls, but um, you know, <laughs> we'll take it. We'll take that, it. That's all right. Yeah, because you know I'm a huge Lakers fan, and I'm. Oh from man, so, yeah. So it's always nice to to chat with someone who's on the other side of that. It, it's funny because when I moved to LA, um, being a basketball fan, and I wouldn't say I'm a Laker hater, but growing up yeah. in this as a Celtics, you know, you're not going to necessarily root for the Lakers. So when I came to LA, I I started rooting for the Clippers, and that's when they were just ah, terrible. So bad. Like yeah, you couldn't yeah. even give away tickets. I was dating this girl that had box <laughs> seats. We could go to the Staples Center, and we'd have an open box for ourselves because no one wanted to go watch her. I think they won like twenty games that year. Yeah, yeah. So I'd always been a Clippers fan, and um, but you know I can get down with LA. You know they, they, there's some great personalities there, there's, there's, and we don't play each other that much, so it's no, we're no. usually not direct rivals. Yeah, so it's, it's all good. It is what it is. It is what it is. <laughs> but yeah, man. So you, uh, so obviously growing up in Maine, you were definitely, you know, influenced by Boston sports and, sure. and just that culture. Yeah. Uh, how, how was that growing up there, man? Like what was going on there? Cause I was looking at Waterville, Maine. Is that where you're from exactly? Yeah. Good, good research. I'm from Waterville. Yeah. Um, probably the most plain name of a town you ever heard. And, <laughs> um, Waterville is an interesting place. It's, Believe it or not, it was the seventh largest city in Maine. Um, okay. And I'll follow that up by saying there were 17,000 people in that city. Um, oh. Very, very small. Um, we were there because my dad was a, a college professor, and there's a wonderful university or college called Colby College there. So he, Colby, he, was, okay, yep. he, he was teaching there. And, Colby College, his dad was teaching there. And so it was a, a unique community because there was a very learned uh, part of the community there was a lot of professors up there and a lot of great art stuff just something that you wouldn't expect a small little town to have um we had a lot of diversity um in the town maybe not racially but like Mm -hmm. maybe more culturally than you would think of some random town in central maine or maybe that's just my my happy way of looking at it right (laughs) um but regardless it was it was a great place to to grow up um, some of my best friends still are those friends I've had and grew up with for, you know, 18 years there. Yeah, I feel there, that. There wasn't a lot to do. We'd hang out in the woods and hike and smoke pot and yeah. cause mischief and hang out. <laughs> you kind of had to create your own fun. Um, but I had a lot of friends. We played music. You know, we played sports. Uh, luckily, we all had really great families around us and just kind of supporting that. And, you know, a lot of my friends have gone on to just really incredible things. Um, you know, so it's, it's cool to see that this little town produced, uh, a nice little pocket of people coming out of there and, yeah, and yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm proud to be from there and I'm always happy to get back when I can. Yeah, definitely. So your family still lives there then? They don't. So they don't. Yeah. Which is what's weird is, is after I graduated high school, they moved to DC. My father took a a separate job job in the sciences. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, so Maine hasn't really been home, even though it still is in my heart. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I've been lucky enough to tour there a few times, um, more so of late in Portland. And, uh, I have a lot of good friends who moved to Portland. That's about an hour from from where yeah. I grew up. So Can I just say that that is yeah. definitely one of my favorite cities in that area. It's Wonderful city. I Absolutely. love it, man. Great, great food. city. Great yeah. food. Yeah. Oh. Just, just cool great vibes. scenery. Yeah. Lots yeah. of bars. Like there's a, there's a great music scene. There's been a lot of new venues that have opened up and, yep. and, and like legitimate kind of venues too that, you know, can compete with some of the ones in Boston and, 
mm-hmm. and elsewhere. And it makes it like a, a stop that's that's worth coming to. So yeah, I've I've been I, I love the hometown shows in Maine, and there's something oh, yeah. a little extra special about that for me. Definitely, man. I couldn't agree more. It's kind mm-hmm. of funny you say that because, uh, like, some sort of similar with my situation too. I spent a lot of time in Colorado. I grew up there mm-hmm. a lot of my what years part? in Colorado Springs. Okay. Um, so, but my no one none, none of my family's from there. You know, my dad was stationed there in the military. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. I, I was there from like tenth <clears throat> grade till like ten fourteen years ago. Now I moved back to LA, but. The same thing. I got all, a lot of my friends, a lot of my close friends are from, are there in Colorado still. And mm-hmm. a lot of people that I consider, you know, uh, my family in that sense as well. But, um, but yeah, it's just kind of crazy how we all kind of end up going our own ways, but still really keeping in touch. And, yeah. Uh, There's a small like town bound. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's awesome, man. So um, when you were coming up in Maine, you talked about playing music and stuff. Was that something that where you learn to play an instrument back then or was it just more just influenced by music you're listening to so i started taking piano lessons we had a piano at my house um i'm trying to think i probably started taking lessons around first or second grade um and i i took them through about i think i quit my eighth grade year um like classical piano and that never rock or anything like that but I had classical teachers in the books and that whole thing um and then I also in fifth grade when you're allowed to start playing an instrument in school um chose to play trumpet and and stuck with trumpet through high school and played in jazz bands and you know mind you all the bands there are just comprised of people from the big band um because there's not such a huge pool but um yeah yeah yeah, a lot of my friends luckily played and they you know might have played drums or saxophone or clarinet and you know we kind of sometimes it just fool around in basements and kind of make our own fusion prog rock kind of nonsense and (laughs) right it was fun and yeah there's there's something to be said about creating music with other people and and i know i'm not a good enough musician to ever be paid to be one on stage which is probably why i'm doing what i'm doing but there is no better feeling than than playing music with people that i have found there's there's just something really special that comes with it and it's a language that to me is universal and and uh you know you can capture so many feelings and emotions just from from notes Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what's so beautiful about it. And it's, it's what I've always connected with. Um, and, you know, then when I went to my first rock concert, that's when like the light bulb kind of went on of like, oh, this is, this is more than, yeah than, than that. This is a whole I'm officially addicted. <laughs> yeah. Tell me a little I mean, bit about that. Was that a, that was Nirvana? It was Nirvana. Um, I love that, man. When I saw that, I was like, what? jealous yeah i mean i i don't know i'd put my first top five concerts with anyone and and, and um yeah they're know, up I'm, there I'm man <laughs> it, was, it was started with nirvana in 93 yeah. on the in utero tour she eyes me like a pisces when i'm weak i've been locked inside her heart-shaped box for weeks i've been drawn into your magnet tar pit trap i wish i could eat your cancer when you turn black hey wait i've got a new complaint Forever in debt to your priceless advice. In utero, I remember that. Yep. And then I saw on April 8th, the day that Kurt Cobain was found dead, um, mm-hmm. saw Pearl Jam. Remember oh, seeing wow. them 
and seeing on the nightly news at like six that Kurt had, you know, killed himself. I'm Kurt Loder with an MTV News special report on a very sad day. Kurt Cobain, the leader of one of rock's most gifted and promising bands, Nirvana, is dead. And this is the story as we know it so far. And I was like, oh my God, is the concert going to go on? Like this is back in 94 before the internet yep. and any kind of quick news mm-hmm. show did go on. It was a wonderful show. Um, so did I, they... Uh... Did Eddie and them pay sort of a tribute or mention it? You know, or? he did mention one little thing. I've gone back and looked at videos from that. I think he mm-hmm. said something to the effect of like, we wouldn't all be here if it weren't for Kurt Cobain. I might be paraphrasing there, but it was something yeah, yeah. to that effect. Nothing like even like, let's stop the show kind of thing. It gotcha, was just yeah. like maybe an intro how Eddie can sometimes mumble his way through right, right. that <laughs> um, in the best kind of way. Um, hey, you know, before we move on, I just wanted to take a quick second and say, how much I really did love Kurt Cobain, you know? And how devastated I was when he took his life. And I was 16 years old, a junior in high school. Man, it was heavy. Someone committing suicide like that, taking their life? My goodness, it was a lot to process. But you know, Nirvana's music meant the world to me. So uh, I would always love them. And I would always show mad respect for them, for Kurt, for everyone. God bless. After that, I got to see Soundgarden, the Super Unknown tour, yes. arguably their best record. Um, after that, I saw the Pink Floyd Pulse tour of 94. Oh, Do you remember that? That wonderful recording they captured of all that. Oh, so yep. I saw that tour. And then this is where you're going to start to laugh. is, But maybe not because you have the Colorado roots, is, is I saw Fish. Okay, and that's yep. now getting into my freshman year of high school and and just being absolutely mesmerized and blown away by this band and how talented they were and and how unique it was and the crowd that was there and the mm-hmm. lights and just, just everything about it was a little bit different. Um, and I've now seen that band, you know, 70 some odd times. That's the band that you've seen the most. Yeah. I'd, 70 I'd say times. So. Probably not a lot <laughs> recently. Like it was, it was actually back in the really, day though, right? Yeah. Mostly back in the day. I got to say it was really maybe reaffirming of my career. Um, Mm-hmm. Because I think it was what last year at Bonnaroo, I believe they headlined Bonnaroo, and I was there with a different band, and I was like, okay, well, I finally have a pass where I can go on the stage. It's taken me all this time to finally like infiltrate the system, yeah, right. and here I am getting to watch the show for free. This band that doesn't quite mean the same thing as it might have used to, but I still like smiled by all the things that reminded me of that, and yeah, the memories, how yeah. great a band they they still are. As you know, now that I'm. 40 and maybe the songs are a little silly you know mm-hmm. i've i feel like i've grown with that band too and you know for anyone who hasn't seen them say what you will but it's still one of the greatest shows you'll ever see and some of the best lighting you'll ever see yeah. especially back in the day when you actually had to like do it on your own and not have a machine pre-program the whole thing for mm-hmm. you their lighting guy is is another member of that band it's so all that, feel yeah. it was all feel and just you know i it's funny because i saw I saw them play um, two shows in Vegas in the 2000s. And I think their lighting guy had some family emergency and he couldn't be there. It's like the mm-hmm. only shows he's ever missed. And it was just like so obvious to me that he wasn't there because there yeah. were certain light parts that, you know, in certain songs have a like a lighting part. Yeah, I'm you like, know yeah, all the lighting cues and stuff. Right. Yeah. And, and it's not like, like, yeah, it wasn't like the lighting was wrong. It was just different. Was and different, maybe, yeah, yeah. and it was like lacking. Should I say? Yeah. And this was done by, I think, Dave Matthews, lighting guy, who obviously is a very qualified, skilled 
lighting technician and it looked great, but there was just, you know, things you don't know. Just like if you're engineering a band for the first time, you might not know a certain cue or a certain cue, exactly, whatever. So yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyways, that's a lot of talk about fish. Fish, fish isn't like Well, real quick though, did so you make a lot of friends that way? Were you part of like a community? Because that's one um, thing I know about fish is that. Yeah. You know, it's funny. a lot of diehard fans. and Yeah. You know. And a lot of them just happened to be my friends because they were musicians and I think they appreciated the musicality of the band. I think they appreciated the humor in the band. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you're talking to someone who, if you ask me who my favorite musician is, I'd probably tell you Frank Zappa. If that means right. anything to you, I'm not sure how not familiar totally. you are with, with Frank, oh, yeah. but um, there's a lot of aspects of fish that borrow off of Frank. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, I just, yeah, the culture was amazing. Like when, when they played in Maine, um, I don't know if you're familiar with the festivals they started and you can uh, thank them because every job you have now is probably because of these fish festivals back in 96 and 97. Yeah. Um, there was one called the Great Went or was that? Yeah, it was 90. Sorry, 97, 98. So it was 97 was the Great Went. And when the Great Went came to Maine, the Great Went was the largest city in Maine, surpassing how many people were in Portland. So if you can imagine that, like 100,000 people up six hours. Come to this festival. That's six hours north of where I live in Maine. And most of the people coming are not necessarily from Maine. So they've driven like. Yeah, they got a lot of dedicated fans that travel everywhere. Yeah. And they had it on a, an Air Force base, an abandoned Air Force base. Oh, so cool. you can imagine, and this was the only band that played, mind you. No other yeah. band played. And 100,000 people came. And you could, buy, you could buy anything on that street from grilled cheese sandwiches and, and you know, sodas to mushrooms mm-hmm. and who the hell else know what else you could buy. <laughs> you could get anything. It was like a little <laughs> yeah. mini city. Yeah, and right. that all came together in honestly some of the most incredible just community I've ever seen. And, and to this day, um, still look back at those moments of, of those two festivals in particular of just a common unifying thing. And I don't necessarily know if it was the band, it was just a mindset and it, mm-hmm. it was beautiful. And I think, you know, a lot of people are trying to achieve that. And, and that's why you look a lot of the festivals that have spawned out of that was a direct result of that, where they've even hired the fish production crew to oh, nice. kind of, you know, when Facilitate Coachella was going, those, yeah, yeah, it's like, yeah, it's how, exactly. do you, how, how do you do this? How do you do this? Yeah, right. Yeah. So a lot of those people were instrumental in, in the beginnings of planning many of the festivals you and I have been fortunate to mix on. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, if anything, like we, we should thank them for that. Even if you don't dig the music dig or the, the music, culture. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, but still, man. And there's a lot of the music I can't stand either. Like there's there's yep. some jams I'm like, you guys got to stop singing. <laughs> like singing is not your forte. Stick to like yeah, the yeah, weird yeah. jams and guitar jams, stuff. Yeah. And yeah, so, you know, to each their own. Hell yeah. Well, that's cool, man. And uh, yeah, it's, I, I've always kind of wondered about that. And I've known a few people that have really been into fish, but yeah, you know, I don't I don't think I've really known that aspect of it. And and how uh, just popular and insane that is, man, to have 100,000 people for one band show up. For one band. Yeah. Like, and I now, they play like three, four hours, right? Or they well, just do multiple me, sets or Let me break thing, it down right? to you. They played, um, what was it? They played three sets Saturday. I think it was like a four o'clock, a seven o'clock, and a 10 o'clock-ish yeah. on Saturday and Sunday. I think there was a welcome set Friday night. Okay. So it was like eight sets of fish. All with like with never one repeating song, you know. Yeah, they did a thing. There was a really funny That's thing with, Me- with Metallica, um, where 
they were just somehow, I, I don't know if you've heard of the Baker's Dozen, which was mm-hmm. a set of 13 shows that Fish played at Madison Square Garden a few years ago, where they didn't play the same song twice. Now, 13 wow. shows, two and a half hours. And they were telling Metallica this, like, that's so awesome. That's, that's amazing. And then they thought, like, there's no way we could pull that off. There's no way we have that many songs to, like... Yeah, that's a huge catalog, man. Yet, yet alone sell out 13 straight shows. So, I mean, like I said, love them or hate them. Um, there are some aspects I think everyone could learn from musically um, yeah. and just how to put on a good show. And, it, you know, ultimately you want to give your fans a good time. And I, I, I still don't see many bands, fans having more fun than, than those shows. Yeah. Real, you know, it's kind of funny you say that because years ago I was working at um, Club Nokia or it's Club Novo now, I know downtown it, yeah. LA. Mm-hmm. And we had a string, tree, string cheese incident performing sure. there. Yeah. And so I went out like in the middle of the show, I went out there to the crowd and I was just kind of watching the band, just digging it, you know, and I look around mm-hmm. and one, the one thing that, that stuck out to me was the fact that no one was using their phones. Right. No one had their phones out. Yep. They were all super engaged in the music and dancing. And twisting and around. It. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it was crazy. Yeah. I was like, wow, that's so yeah. cool, man. Great band. And and again, yeah. a band who knows how to like play off their audience and yeah, engage, yeah. when to switch the mode, you know, band that's mm-hmm. so diverse with bluegrass to psych rock to everything in between and yep. knowing how to, to gauge the vibe. It's 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 important. You're an entertainer. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And do you feel that um this whole experience with fish and <clears throat> these type of bands were really influential in you eventually starting the fire pit sessions. Um, I don't think, I don't think fish. What I think the inspiration for fire pit, if anything was more of like the MTV unplugged bands. Um, okay. First and foremost, I'm, I'm like a rock guy. That's in fish is certainly rock. And, yeah, yeah. but I could list a whole other bands that aren't anything like fish that I like, like bands like tool or Pearl jam oh. or like that whole yeah. Seattle. I noticed scene. That. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So yeah, there's a few concerts you went to. I was like, okay. Adam, yeah. I feel like Adam and I are sort of kindred souls, you know, like, yeah. We, or like, we're very similar and uh, we're very close in age. So, yeah. Uh, you know, like I, I can talk Jeff Beck with you. I can talk, mm-hmm. you know, Ornette Coleman and get jazzy with you. Uh, nice. I, I can't really talk a lot of hip hop, especially anything post 93 with you. <laughs> right. And I'm okay with that in country yeah. music. I don't know shit about, um, right. but no, I pride <laughs> myself in, in being diverse. And, and honestly, I think, being diverse musically is is so important to what we do because you know not everything we get offered is our genre of choice and i think it's really cool to maybe have an understanding of other genres going into it knowing what the band that hired you to mix them wants Mm -hmm. you might not mix them the way you want to mix them you want to mix them so it represents the way the band wants to be represented at least that's my opinion it's like yes maybe throw in your own flavor but don't make a reggae band sound like a punk rock band it's there's no need to add that much art into it it's that's not that's not your job um i think fire pit sessions drew out of more like again bands like pearl jam and allison chains and nirvana and watching a rock band get maybe slightly uncomfortable and strip it down um also because of the space that fire pit sessions takes place in which is my backyard um Mm -hmm. in a residential area in the hills of silver lake um, trying to curtail the noise so that we don't get complaints and, mm-hmm. and yeah, just trying to get bands to step outside their comfort zone. Um, 
Yeah, there was a really great band I mixed called Fool's Gold. I don't, I don't know if you're familiar yeah. with Fool's Gold. Kind of just like, from you. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, show. so props to Fool's Gold. Anyone go mm -hmm. back and check those things. It's yeah, check them out on Instagram at Fool's Gold LA. They were kind of like they brought me into like African psych rock music. I had never really known okay. African psych rock, and these are like two Jewish kids with an affinity for the Grateful Dead and, you know, and then the band was, was huge. Um, but when I was working with them, they were down to, I think a five or six piece, uh, cause a lot of them had spun off into the Ed Sharp magnetic um, zeros, zeros kind of yeah. thing. Mm -hmm. Right. So that was one family, but regardless, they were so talented that we could take these psych rock African based songs and do these scaled back, uh, acoustic versions. And if you look on the website, there is one or two videos of them doing this. And, and that band, Honestly, it was the epitome of everything I'd hoped it had been, at least in a musical sense of, of a band stepping outside their comfort zone, yet still having the talent to adapt their music to a space and to an audience that would appreciate it. And, um, you know, they're not to slight any of the other bands who have played. I, there, there have been some incredible performances there. Um, but that one really sticks out in terms of, in capturing what I had hoped to, to maybe um, present to people as as entertainment and, and for that space. Um, but, you know, everything is very subjective. And and I get comments from all these other people saying, oh, this band did this for me and this these guys are great. And, you know, honestly, it's just it's a way to bring people together. Yeah, um, the community. I yeah. think the community, because the community yeah. has given me all this. And I've mm -hmm. been in L.A. since oh four and started working in 05 and it's become my west coast family mm -hmm. and there's so many bands i'm sure you've worked for so many people like these little pockets of people become your family because they you spend hours in vans and weeks and months with them and go around the world with them it's like mm -hmm. you can't help it be a family um or not be a family so that's what i think fire pit was was an excuse to get the family together <laughs> as like i'm not here enough I'm going to throw a big party for you guys. I hope you come. Yeah, yeah. Let's do some music. Let me try to show off what I've learned and how I've gotten better at this and, mm -hmm. and featuring some of the bands that I want to be heard. Um, and let's just have a good fucking party. Honestly, it's like, I've always liked throwing parties even yeah. with or without music. So someone's got to do it. Exactly. Um, I promise to never have money involved. I never did. Tickets. Hey, I was wondering about that. Okay, like fuck, yeah, fuck yeah. money. Like I've, I've, None, I've the, uh, all the bands played for free, basically as well. They, then, not basically. They, oh, they, they just did, did play okay, for okay, free. Gotcha, okay. They, they did, and <laughs> yeah. that was something that was understood from the get go. That there mm -hmm. would never fire pit sessions is is there's zero money involved. So cool. Because once money gets involved, then people want a piece of it. So if there's exactly. nothing to begin with, then you're there for the right, not the right reasons, but you're there for the reasons that the event that I want to encapsulate is mm -hmm. present. So I don't make any money. In mm -hmm. fact, I spend a lot of money. I buy all the beer and the video. Yeah, I noticed like you, sometimes you have catering there and stuff like that. Sometimes we do. And sometimes, are you able to work with any um, like outside sponsors or we have, stuff like I've, that? I've, I've tried to keep it local. I've never wanted a Red Bull or Coca-Cola thing yeah, yeah, or, probably. you know, absolute vodka. It's that's, that's not what this is about. Yeah. Uh, one time my buddy who was trying to launch a barbecue, sauce business i had him come over and cook some barbecue we did the sauce one time diablo taco i don't know if you're how familiar you are with silver lake but they're a little taco joint oh, down yeah. the street nice. they they came up and brought some tacos we had johnny's beer or johnny's bar i'm sorry in highland park come over and, and bring a few kegs of beer and 
and do that. So there's always, you know, that was never like the focus on it. I'd, I'd wanted to have it be community based, but you know, it's hard to ask people to donate their time and their money to events that don't necessarily benefit them. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was never a focus, but it was always welcomed. Oh, totally, um, yeah. And through that, you know, I have friends who, you know, they make ginger beer. So we made Moscow oh, cool. mules and that kind of thing. Just, you know, keep yeah, it simple. It it's, it's, yeah. it's really about the music and it's really about the experience. People coming to come. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's about being there. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's kind of like, we don't do invites. Like I had to stop posting things with the address cause people like too many people would show, up. show up. Yeah. Like, like hundreds of people. I'm just like, all right, well, I guess this is going to be like a, like a quote unquote invite only thing. And if, if you showed up, it's, you were meant to be here kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, so well, that's, that's cool how, though, man, you know, it was, it through was word cool. of mouth and everything. It just sort of spread. And- yeah. And I met people through the neighborhood. I met some famous musicians that came by, um, oh. and were curious, like what, what is going on? How, who are you? Like, yeah, why right? are these people playing in your backyard? Why does it sound so good? Yeah. Um, you know, all of that. So yeah, it's been a passion project, if nothing else, a way of giving back um, to an industry that has, has fulfilled me beyond my wildest dreams. Yeah. I definitely will say that that has def that is the thing that I recognized about you. And I know we'd met before that or connected before that, but when I realized you were doing these shows, I was super excited for you, man. And like, unfortunately I never made it to one. You had definitely invited me out a few times. No, nah, it's all good. <laughs> in the, I think in the years that you were doing it, I was just hardcore touring as well. You know? Yeah. So it's it's difficult, you know, when you don't have those There'll consistent be more. schedules. Yeah. There'll be more, hopefully, in a post-COVID era, whatever yeah, that it, is. And exactly. in the spirit, hopefully, you know, it's not a place where it, or it's not only in that location where it can happen. It can happen. And it's more about the idea. Mm-hmm of everything I just mentioned. So it could say yeah. be out in my place at Joshua tree now, or it could whatever. Yeah. I saw that you, you, so you just bought a house out there in Joshua tree. I hate or, saying it. I or? bought, I bought, I bought two. Oh, two. Um, okay. there you go. <laughs> and what an asshole I sound like. Um, and I owe a lot of money Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm trying to figure it out because I don't think we're going to be cashing any audio paychecks for at least two years. As, as sad mm-hmm. as that is to mm-hmm. say, um, I'm just trying to, yeah, take it in that direction and, and, and use my brain to try to figure out a way through this and real estate's another interest of mine. And yeah, I have a really cool house I bought out there, which I'm not even living in cause I'm Airbnb it and oh, trying okay. to make money that way. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. so that's one of the homes. <laughs> is that, Any is that other home? picking up at all right now? I mean, it's been slammed, dude. It's oh, been has it? Okay. Up, it's, yeah, it's, it's been at least my property. And I think a lot mm-hmm. of other people are just wanting to get out of LA and yeah. come out to a place. It's a nice house with a pool and it's just kind That's of. That's the one you've been posting on your uh, socials, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm trying to stop that too. <laughs> I don't want to be that guy. Oh, but, no, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, um, yeah, it's a beautiful place. And we've, I, I lived there for four months when my tour in March was canceled abruptly, as I'm sure yours was too. Mm-hmm. And, I lived there through, when was it, June 1st, and okay. um, took the time with a good friend of mine who's helped me with projects at the LA home um, to better this place. And yeah, it's kind of taken shape and people people are loving it. Oh, yeah. So I'm happy to give people a little good times in their, their lives, and especially now. So it's, it's always great watching and hearing the comments. That's cool, man. And with um, your house in Silver Lake, and for mm-hmm. the listeners, I wanted to just say that to kind of give them an idea of what the layout is, is like 
It's a sure. tier. It's like a tiered on the side of a hill sort of thing, right? It's definitely on the side of a hill. It's three stories where the, mm-hmm. the top house has a four-bedroom, two-bath house. Mm-hmm. And then the middle units have two separate one-bedroom, one-bath units. And then I now live in the bottom one. Okay. Think of it as like a, I don't know, is that a trapezoid? I don't know what that is. But it's kind of, you know, the top is certainly bigger than the bottom. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so I've been a landlord since... Oh six since I bought it. There's okay. been some amazing people who have lived there. There's been some really cool music that's been created yeah, yeah. right in that thing. Um, I'll, I'll give a prop right now to um, my buddy Colin, who lives there. He's lived there for ten years. He goes by um, the band's called Low Hum. Great okay. band. He's also played in a band called James Supercave. I've done a lot of sound for, mm-hmm. and he's played Fire Pit sessions. Um, so they've done some music there. There's a great German DJ who lived downstairs. He used nice. to go by uh, Keen House and recorded and mixed a whole record in in that bottom apartment, and it's it's an incredible record. Um, so I love having that aspect there. Um, yeah, it's been it's been a great great yeah. time over there in one of the best neighborhoods in LA for, for my community. I'm, I'm very grateful to have been there. So do you, each, each, um, each level has like patios or balconies out of, that extend off from um, the back? Is that kind of how mm, the backyard what I'm looking at there? Um, so the, 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 nah, the upper deck ha- or the upper home has its own like little upper deck, yeah, but yeah. then the backyard's a shared space. And okay. then, so when we purchased it, there wasn't a whole lot going on there except just a bunch of rubble and debris. And, and um, a good friend of mine, Chase, has helped. He built two decks there. So that's mm-hmm. where fire pit st- sessions is stage is the lower deck the lower decks, yeah. where, where the band's kind of on the lower and then it, and the sound goes up although there is one level beneath it it's kind of like a four-tiered backyard yeah. um acoustically sounds great it's got views of the city it's it's its own little private like wooded area inside of this very hectic city and every time i come home from tour it's like it's just the nicest place for me to try to shut it all off for a moment. Yeah, yeah. It allows me to garden. It allows me to, you know, grow fruits and veggies mm-hmm. or pot or whatever I want oh, no, to grow. So, well, I saw you did like a one take. I think you came back from Japan and you did like a community garden party, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. So that was really cool, man. Like, I love that aspect yeah. about what you're trying yeah. to do here. Sure. And it's like I love – that's another, I wouldn't say a passion of mine, but certainly a hobby. And I've mm-hmm. I've – you know, my dad's always had a garden growing up, a veggie garden. So I've, I'm used to that and, and yeah. reaping the bounty of that. I think there's nothing better than eating food you've grown. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's been really cool. And, you know, a lot of the things I have back there are succulents. So it's easy to just cut a piece and give to it maintain. to someone. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it's I love doing that. It's like sometimes for birthday gifts, I don't get a gift. I was just like, I'll go get a pot and I'll start just filling it with stuff and just give it to someone. And, oh, that's cool, man. You it's know, more personal, you know. Yeah, I like so, that. And mm-hmm. it'll something that that will, you can see grow and you know and reminder whoever you're giving Absolutely. it to that where it came from and stuff. Right, and if they, um, they don't take care of it, you know how much. They <laughs> <you>, right? <laughs> <laughs> I see how you are. No, yeah. But um, talk to me a little bit about uh, the fire pit sessions at your Silver Lake house, particularly with your audio setup and how, mm. if any, 
has it changed from when you first started it until until now and sort of what some of yeah. the things you're realizing and how to make it sound better? Good question. Okay, so this all started off before it was even called Fire Pit. It was just mm-hmm. it was just life and it was it was a birthday of mine and okay. I'd asked a friend of mine, uh, his name's Travis Warren. I don't know if you're familiar with that name. Um, but I don't think I don't think I know him. One of my favorite songwriters, he actually, if you're familiar with Blind Melon, has been their lead singer for, I think, the last decade or so. One of my favorite grands growing up. So that was really trippy, you know, meeting those guys, eventually getting to do a few shows. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, you know, uh, so it just kind of started with me asking, hey, would you bring your guitar over and maybe just play like a little acoustic unplugged set? Mm-hmm. And he did, and it was just, it was great. And we had the fire going, and just there's uh, 20, 30 people there, and it was great. So, you know, I was like, okay, well, let's just, let's just get this a little bigger. And, you know, started with like a little modest QSC PA and set it up real small and never had the upper deck even, or the lower deck even built at that point. So we couldn't mm-hmm. even go down there. Oh, okay. And through the years, it's, it's kind of evolved into what it is now, which isn't a much bigger PA setup per, per se. It's, it's still, I just have some K-12s. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a stereo pair for the lower half and I... The last few years, I've set up delay speaker on the the upper deck. Oh, cool! Um, and it's honestly, it's allowed me to run the the mains stereo system lower volume wise. Um, so even by having you're not more, trying to cover more exactly. Space, so yeah. so because exactly. we were getting there was you know the party I mentioned earlier where it just was on social media and addresses and. I mean, I think it was like the second ever show for a band called The Record Company. Oh, I remember. Arrows played that day. Um, I'm trying to remember. Like, it was just, it was chaos. And it was, it was, it was great chaos. But um, it was too much. And I think that, that day with the cops showing up like three or four times, like made me rethink, okay, how do we do this? To the point where I got nerdy and I'd set up the system and I'd start angling system, uh, the speakers slightly different using like my own building as like a shield and going up Mm -hmm. to the top of the Westerly and seeing, can I hear it there? And can I go down on Silver Lake Boulevard and hear it there? What's the reflection? Cause we, the funny thing was most of the complaints were coming from not my street, but the hills behind it, the way it was echoing. Oh, yep. um, so that was good because it would take the cops a little longer to figure that out. Yeah, where it was coming from. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, they're all searching the neighborhood up there. They're, they're in the wrong neighborhood. I'm like, oh, yeah, shit, yeah, exactly. I see the spotlights. We got like 15 minutes here. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, yeah, just, you know, trying to realize the capabilities of what we could do. And, you know, honestly, like at this point, I felt like, I feel like we could host any band in the world and give them a show that is accurate to what they want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, that doesn't mean you need to do that per se, but we can mm-hmm. and we have. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, you know, we try to keep it a memorable experience and I try to start the shows early enough so that it doesn't go past, you know, nine forty-five, ten, yeah. 10 yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, that kind of stuff. Like, trying mm-hmm. to let the neighborhood know, trying to post signs up saying, hi, oh, come yeah, to yeah. fire pit sessions instead of calling the cops, come have a beer with us. Yeah, um, I like that. That's the way to yeah, do it, man. You know, get exactly. them involved, make sure they make them feel like they're part of something, you know? Yeah. There's always bad apples out there, but oh, yeah. you know, what are you going to do? That's, that's their problem to be miserable their lives. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, we've, we've worked on it. Um, I've upgraded microphones. I've upgraded the console Midas was was kind enough to give me uh, an M32 a few years back. Um, Lovely. 
Yeah, I love that desk. It's so easy. Yeah, it sounds good um, mm -hmm. for this thing. Now I can run a Cat5 cable instead of like analog snake through my garden. Yeah, um, I was wondering about that. How you? Were, I was wondering how you were doing that. Yeah, from the desk to the stage. Uh, yes, yeah, of late, that's how we've been doing it. Just running okay. one little cable, and you know, nice. Just just setting it up, and I mean, I dare say it's one of the best sounding venues in LA for what it is. Um, and that's not because of necessarily what I'm doing. It's just the, the space is presents itself acoustically as a natural amphitheater. And, and to me, that sounds great most of the yeah. time from my experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Because yeah. it's, not, it's not very often that you could find spaces like that that are naturally... No. Uh, have that acoustic sort of element to it. That yeah, I think another... Such yeah. Oh, sorry, sorry. Go ahead. I was saying, I think another element is, 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 you know, I used to book a lot of bands back in the day too. I had friends who got me into booking because they had production companies and that's a lot of how I got into sound was I would just book bands I wanted to mix like selfishly and then I'd go mix at the them. fire pit, right? No, no, no. Just at like, they, they, um, like fire pits, like a once or twice a year kind of thing. Gotcha, I, so. they, they were booking at places like the house of blues when it was there, like, you know, the foundation and parish rooms or the Derby, if you know that place, or yeah, the I remember that Mint place. or Mint, where yeah. else. Um, so, so, so you were taking, you were with these bands and then you were like, Hey, I could book you shows and you would just hit up the venues and then take this um, band. And, well, it was kind of like my, 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 my friends had a production company um, okay. called Canna Jam. And oh, Canna, uh, Chris Ford, right? Chris and Jacqueline. Yeah. Two of my, yeah, my great, yeah. my, my great friends. And you know, they had, contracts with the venues or i think they had like viper room and maybe and that's where we met I'm maybe about now yeah, that whole connection been, and it might have been back then i, I want to say it was through the viper room yeah you came in because i know i came into hotel cafe a few times mm -hmm. yeah and you were there but i don't remember yeah we were talking about this earlier but right we were trying to figure it out um yeah, yeah. But regardless, so they had, you know, yeah. they had contracts with these venues where every Sunday they would take it and every Wednesday or whatever. So I think we started off like, you know, they had 30 shows a month. So they'd say, throw me four or five where mm -hmm. here's your night. Do what, do, do what you want within like, cool, yeah. our confines. And yeah, so I started booking a lot of bands and, and, and trying to meet people that way. I was still yeah, yeah. fairly new to LA and trying I was teaching chess at the time, I remember booking a lot Shut of these up. Oh yeah. That was that was like <laughs> I love that. Yeah. I love chess, man. That's my oh, shit. Oh, we gotta play. We gotta get yeah. chess with friends. You'll probably you'll probably kick my ass. No, not necessarily. Game, but, you know, no, no, you know, no. I I'm not very moments. good on the phone. <laughs> I'm better at speed chess, honestly. That's where I, I, oh, okay. I shine a little more. Um yeah. but uh yeah, so I would book these bands, and you know it mm -hmm. was cool. It brought in some extra money. It, it it opened up new communities. It it was just it was fun. It was like okay, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm doing it, and yeah, yeah. it's a, it's cool. And I met a lot of great people that way, and and like I said, mixed a lot of bands that way, and and really got to cut my teeth on you know in an industry that I had no clue what I was doing, mm -hmm. you know. You just have to do it and fail and, and then try not to make the same mistake twice. But exactly. there's so many mistakes you could make, so you gotta you got to make them all. Um, yeah, you just have to realize that you're going to make them. Yeah. You know, you just do, like I said, you just do your best uh, to be conscious of it and, and be mindful of when you do make them to not make them again. But right. just understand that you will have your ups and downs. And, of course, yeah. Uh, so just you know, you can't, you can't be mad at something that you're unaware of, but then exactly. now that you're aware of, okay, well, maybe I won't do that again, you know? Exactly. Mm -hmm. So, 
so yeah, I, I was given the opportunity back then to, to mix a lot of cool bands. And, and then I realized because of all the restrictions put in place by venues and stuff, I, I didn't want to deal with it anymore. So fire pit sessions kind of grew out of that too. Where it's like, well, now I'm booking it at my house so I can do whatever the yeah, fuck I want. Do whatever I want. Yeah. And, and really curate a show that makes sense where you have like the night leads to something where maybe you start off with an acoustic act followed by like a three piece followed by a rock band instead of like yeah. a rap has, act followed by a country act where everyone's just sold a hundred tickets to play the whiskey or whatever. Yeah. yeah. You know, not to throw the whiskey under the boat. I mean, there's great, there's, this was happening everywhere. As you know, mm-hmm. the pay, oh, to, yeah, play pay to play, it oh, was yeah. just ridiculous in my mind, but yeah. uh, also I get the market will support what the market supports. So it makes mm-hmm. sense. So, yeah, it's funny because uh, when I, I when I first started in the industry, I, was, I started at the whiskey, mm-hmm. and about a year. <laughs> I did not know that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's where, that was my first gig. Okay. Uh, I got I started training hired there, but um, mm-hmm. uh, but it was all pay to play, and of course, you know, it's it, the, the downside of that is like you're they're trying to book as many bands as possible in one. Of course. Row, yeah. You know, so that way, because they can't count on certain bands to sell tickets, you know, so they're just they're just yeah. going to pack it in with the many bands they can to try to yeah hedge you know, your bets. Out. So, yeah, exactly. Um, but I started actually helping the booker probably like the last four or five months I was there. And um, I was really into it, man. It was really fun. And I was I was discovering a lot of cool bands. Yeah. Um, but it was it was a struggle because the approach I was the the approach I had was I had to be like, hey, I want you to play, but you have to sell tickets. Right. You know, and so I had to convince myself that 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 was okay because i didn't i didn't believe that was i didn't believe in that you know mm-hmm. i was against paper i'm against pay to play you know yeah and um but i had to convince myself and i started to and then at one point i just i don't know what hit me and i was like man this i don't i'm not into this yeah. i don't feel good about this right i don't like trying to like talk these bands and like and then sort of finagle and maybe even at times right. sort of like you use car show. salesman of, of yeah of exactly <laughs> exactly <laughs> when really I, you just want to mix the bands you, have, you don't exactly give a shit. i just was hiring bands that i wanted to mix exactly right right so but yeah, I, will, I understand how that goes yeah i will say we never once made a band pay to play so that was mm-hmm. important for me we did have the options for ticketings which i thought was a very fair thing but it was never ever uh forced it was mm-hmm. certainly recommended and for some people it worked really well and for some people they knew their audience and they'd buy it at the door and some bands yeah. wouldn't bring anyone and then you just wouldn't book them again <laughs> exactly exactly so you know it's it's all good that's all rad man yeah. i mean i really love the uh the whole idea of the fire pit sessions and thank you doing it yourself and because uh i just i just released uh the last the latest episode i just released I was talking to my good friend Joey, who uh, we've known each other 20 years, came up in Colorado Springs together in the music scene. Mm-hmm. Same sort of thing, you know, where our bands were playing shows and the venues weren't really catering to the things that we were wanting or anything like that. And so we decided to say, fuck it and just do it ourselves. Same sure. sort of thing. Sometimes Created you got it. Warehouse. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, and that's where a lot of my friends that I have now came from that, that experience, those few mm-hmm. years that we were doing that. So, yeah, man. Always encourage people to DIY if they if they if they can and to you know because you never know what could come from it. Dude, you know? yeah, love the DIY. It's the best. Yeah. And uh, um, let's see here. So with the uh, with that whole thing, have you been able to with the new house in Palm or in uh, Joshua Tree? You had been planning to do shows there as well with the fire pit sessions. So there's two there's two homes there. One one has a pool and. Okay obviously like pool equals fun. So mm-hmm. add music to it and there you go. We actually, 
the same friend I told you about who built the, the decks has a recycling company in LA, um, recycledmoviesets.org for anyone who wants to Hell yeah. look at that and all the cool stuff they have. Wait, what was the name of that place again? Recycledmoviesets.org. And some of the cool stuff they had was the moon statue that, if you ever look at mm-hmm. the pictures, was there. But we also got two-thirds of the Pointer Sisters World Tour stage, which we brought out. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. I am so excited. And I just can't hide it. And we have that sitting there. So right now there's a picnic table on it. Um, but there is a fairly large stage that at some point, I hope we will be able to have the biggest pool party yeah, yeah. known. Um and then there's another place I just bought in Joshua Tree, which is a much more modest home, but it's on two and a half acres, which oh, wow. to translate that, I could easily put, I don't know, one to 2,000 people easily there, put a nice little small L acoustics line array up and blow mm-hmm. people's minds. Yeah, um, which I would love to do when it's safe to do that. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, man, always thinking about the party <laughs> and how we can yeah, yeah. come together and have fun without, you know people telling us what to do oh, yeah. have, have you had a chance to like do any sort of uh install audio installations or have any sort of thought process about how you want to lay that out um and then start thinking I went, in that sense i wouldn't say i'm an install guy i think i've mixed enough pas over the world now to have a, a general understanding of where a good starting point would be okay um but no, I wouldn't hire myself to install a PA or anything like that or fly a PA. I'm, I'm more specialized in mixing. Um, but um, yeah, I think there's there's room to grow and, and to really, you know, I have pictures in my mind, but how feasible they are, that's to be determined. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. So let me ask you, what, what, if any, do you, is your vision for fire pit sessions moving forward? I mean, of course we're dealing with the whole pandemic right now. It's, it's tricky. I mean, you know, fire pit sessions, it's only taken place in, in that house in Silver Lake. Um, Mm -hmm. that being said, I've, I've always wanted someone to pay me too much money to do the same thing at their house for a party where, you know, you, you book the entertainment and bring a PA and, and let us, you know, pass around the clam chowder or whatever. Like, um, I love doing that. I love bringing happiness to people. I love providing a service and, and, and taking a tricky situation as audio and making it work um, and mm-hmm. learning the confines of a venue and what is doable and telling people that. I, I My stupid line I always say is I can't take you to the moon in a Jeep. <laughs> but, um, you know, like so trying to have reasonable expectations. But, yeah, I would love – people to hire me to create a vibe and it's not just the music it's like the lighting and the aesthetics and and how I want people to feel and how I want them to feel as they leave that saying okay this was something special and and people ask me all the time when are we doing this again when are when are you doing this it's summertime and and that's what keeps you know the fire burning is knowing that like you are providing a a unique experience it might be different than the concerts you and I are used to doing in these corporate events or these big yep. uh, festival things, it makes people, people want to feel a part of something, you know, be it religion or music or whatever. They just long to, to be in a group of people that might be like-minded. And that's all I'm trying to provide with, with my version of fire pit sessions. Now, like I said, I, I can do that for other people. No one's offered me yet, but that's, that's fine. Um, mm-hmm. I, you know, 
it's it's like I said from the get go. It's never been about money. It's about bringing yeah, the community together. Yep. And if it was something outside of that, I don't think I'd feel comfortable labeling it Fire Pit Sessions as a brand because it's the antithesis of that. It's mm-hmm. it's not that. I'm not looking for your corporate dollar for for this mm-hmm. event. I am for some other thing, but not for yeah. my thing. Well, that's what makes it so special, I think, man. And, yeah, uh, I hope you get so to come unique. sometime. Yeah, yeah, I, man. I, I, and, uh, and shout out to all the bands who have played. Like, honestly, you're dragging gear down like 80 fucking steps. For, I was for say the load in and load out. Oh, it's, <laughs> it's 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 a classic load in. Load out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. You know, awesome. but um, we get through Especially it at the end of the night. Oh like, my oh, god. god! Like I would say, some of my worst performances as a human being have been the day after it's over and i now have to like clean it up and yeah, yeah. drag the shit back up to the garage right. and clean all the cables off and return them to audio rents and all that stuff but um exactly you know it's not just me doing this like i've had a lot of help be people it. helping okay, obviously cool. the band i mean this is nothing without the band so like it, mm-hmm. if, if none of them played and you can go look at the website and see who's played and I, I'm just so proud that so many, not only friends, but just like people I consider just like really top notch musicians have played and have, have really taken it seriously and, and have given some really unique performances. And that, that's to me what it's about. Oh yeah. 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 I mean, well, I think they, they, they see and they realize the authenticity of yeah. what you're doing. I think once they're they there, they be a part of that. Yeah. I think once they're there and I flip the PA on and we start sound check and they're like, Oh, this is like I can hear myself, and oh, yeah, so like this is this. Is, how are you doing that with the uh, like the stage setup? Um, it's you running you running monitors from the same desk, obviously, in front of house. Yeah. Oh, dude, I've been doing that from day one. I did that yeah. last year on stadium tours for mini match. <laughs> like, I'll, you want me to run some monitors? Tell me what okay. you want. Yeah, yeah, I'd rather me do it. You know, it's it's yeah. not a big deal. Um. In that space, I find people don't need a lot of monitoring just because the acoustics are so good. If I make it sound good in the house, mm-hmm. they hear that and they might just want a little vocal reinforcement vocal, or, yeah. or or like a little thump for the kick, you know. Gotcha. But it's, yeah, it's just a really, by accident, a great acoustic space. Yeah. A happy accident, yeah. What do you got, just a couple of wedges on the floor? Is that how you run? Um, well, as the system is expanded, I run up to four K-12s. Okay. Um, on the floor, and then I run a pair for for the stereo with uh, with sub, and then I for run. The drums? Uh, no, oh, for the house. Oh, for, for the house. For the house. Gotcha. Yeah, for the gotcha. house. Gotcha. Gotcha. And gotcha. then gotcha. and then the uh, the upper balcony has uh, a mono speaker, um, okay. another K twelve with another sub. Just run off a, a delay off the mains of some of the mains. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, just nothing nice. nothing complicated, but it works. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. So let me, I'm going to take it back a little bit though. Like when you sure. first started getting into music and realizing that uh, the technical production aspect is kind of the avenue that you were leaning mm-hmm. more towards. Um, you you were pursuing music in that sense before you even moved to LA. Is that what happened? I wouldn't say I was pursuing it. Um, I was I was playing music. Never okay. never. I, I knew I I wasn't good enough to play professionally. I honestly like I think I wrote a. a a college application like thesis thing about me wanting to be an acoustical engineer working for a company like Bose who designs speakers oh, or something okay. like that. I always had a fascination. Like I bought stereo gear and 
setups around sound and all that stuff like right in its infant days in the 90s and yeah i just i liked it i didn't even know audio engineering was a thing i had never seen a mixing board because in maine we didn't just we didn't have venues we didn't have these things um so i the first time i actually saw a recording desk was actually when i was 19 years old and i had signed up for some classes in maryland where i was now living after my family moved um and and honestly got to work on probably some of the best gear I've ever touched in my life from like a vintage API split desk to, you know, a knee oh, wow. VR series. I think they bought it mm-hmm. from Lucas arts when they redigitized star Wars and they had an SSL 4000. So right there, oh, yeah. come to I, learn, I learned you, on that desk too. right. You got, I mean, you have three industry standards, you know, with the whole collection of tape machines and Neumann microphones and ribbon this and even tied that and, 2290s and all, all the fun stuff you, you see in studios. Um, so I didn't, I didn't understand the concept of being able to control, say like a vocal versus a, a, a snare drum and blending the two together or a bass guitar and drums. I had no idea the concept of multi-track mixing or, or any yeah. of that. I just knew I loved rock and roll and music in general and, and thought I wanted to be a part of it by maybe designing a concert hall or that, not realizing that the thing I really wanted to do was this thing called audio engineering. Like I wanted to yeah. be a, a conductor growing up. When I was growing up in Waterville, Maine, I want to be a conductor. Like an orchestra con- conductor. Cause, cause my That's dad, great. yeah, my dad was, um, among other things, he was a singer in choir. So I grew up watching him perform in front of pipe organs with orchestras and mm-hmm. wanting to be the guy conducting it. So in a, backwards way I, I fell into conducting rock bands like which is exactly what I wanted to be doing it was a, yeah, it was yeah. the greatest happy accident ever and I'll give mm-hmm. my mom a shout out for actually finding that course shout out to mom yep so so she signed me up for those courses and you know I got my remedial and uh education for six to eight months and they give you the certificate and you have no fucking clue what you're doing right exactly i'm familiar then, with that <laughs> and, you move, and you move to la and you go beg every club out there including the whiskey who would never hire me um yeah. to hire you and then finally you catch a break and you get who, a gig who, where was your break at so the first break was actually remember the key club oh yeah right. i tried to get hired there they didn't hire me right <laughs> so i got i got hired there a few times and then I'll give my mom another shout out because she somehow yeah. met this guy who managed a rock band. And this band was some band you've never heard of. They were this Dutch band, but they were okay. living in L.A. and he was managing them. They were just like Guns N' Roses wannabes. And they're actually like really cool if yeah. you're into that stuff. And they were they were gigging at this place called the Malibu Inn. Not to be oh, confused yeah, with, Inn, yep. with the uh, hotel out there, but the actual place that used to be owned Maybe. by who owned that? Neil Young owned it at one point oh, okay. back in the day. I know that. Um, so I started going there as like a quote unquote guest engineer for these guys, not having a fucking clue what I was doing on, they had a Soundcraft series four and I met an engineer there named James who has become since one of my very good friends, um, and really got me kind of hired there when one of their engineers was leaving because they had two desks there, there was front of house and monitors. So Mm -hmm. we got along, he recommended me. And they're like, all right, we'll, we'll hire this guy. And I just kind of had to learn what I was doing um, at the Malibu Inn, which back in the day, a lot of really cool 
nostalgia it's acts like, were playing, yeah, like some exactly. huge stuff. And yeah. a lot of times engineers would come in with these bands. So I got to watch what they were doing. And James liked doing monitors a lot. So I was just doing front of house, sometimes oh, just nice. like taking usually feed- the opposite, right? <laughs> yeah. So I was like, you know, taking feedback solos left and right and like, right. You know, <laughs> trying to wrangle this 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 console. I have no business. What working. are you doing out there, man? Yeah, the kind of. There were times where he had to come run in front of the house. It's like, dude, what the fuck is going on? Yeah, here? yeah, you're and killing like, me. You're like, I don't know. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, those are those things. Like, luckily, I was, I think, a quick learner and had a musical yeah. year. And I think that's to me has always been my strength as an engineer. Isn't necessarily my uh, my technical capabilities, mm-hmm. which over the years have certainly vastly improved. I think the thing that I've always had going for me is is my ear and my understanding of just music in general. I know that sounds like a weird thing to say, but I'm sure no, you've, I, you've, you've met a I'm lot of people. I'm the same way I feel like. I yeah, feel you, like I'm exactly the same way. Man. Right. I'm sure you've met you lots know? of people who so, could like you know show you how to use a digico with their eyes closed but you ask them mm-hmm. to make something musical and they're like i don't i don't know what that means like the gate's yeah. working right and the release times yeah. right but it's like well cool what does it sound like and it might well, not that's be kinda, so good it kind of brings me to that point you were making about that robert uh scoville uh quote oh right yeah you know? can you tell me a little about that real quick um so i'm sure you know who robert is and i'm he's a, i'm sure many of our, our listeners yes. might know but for people who don't he's one of you know the, the dudes who has been mixing some of our favorite bands, like Tom Petty, I guess, um, would come most straight recently, to mind yeah. most recently. And, you know, I think is a spokesman for Avid and mm-hmm. certainly a very well-trusted um, name in our industry, who I haven't unfortunately met yet, though I, I would love to. Mm-hmm. Um, um, he said something to the effect, like, of kind of what I just said. Like, if, if you put two people in front of a mixing board, one has all the knowledge of that mixing board inside and out, but doesn't necessarily give a shit about music or have any kind of background or anything. And then you compare that to a person who has really little mixing board experience, maybe not like your dog, but someone who's gone through like a few lessons and understands like turning a fader up will make something louder, like very basic stuff. He was kind of saying that he would pick the person who's more, but, but that person has a great musical knowledge. Maybe they've played music or they've just, for whatever reason, they have a, an understanding yeah. of music more than the technical person that, that he would pick the person with less technical experience, but more musical experience. Mm-hmm. And to me, that kind of just affirmed my whole career because yeah. as, as technology advances at this just Rapid exponentially, pace, yeah. yeah, man, it's, it's just like you learn one desk and it's already out of style because yeah. now there's a new one. Exactly. Yeah. The basic fundamentals of sound still haven't changed Physics hasn't changed. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, yes, genres of music have changed and that can get into the nuance of how we might mix things. But on on the grander scheme of things, music hasn't changed in terms of how we hear it and how we interpret it. And, and having a knowledge that might be more broad um, certainly can help in in a situation as ours as as a front of house engineer where you are trying to in my mind uh replicate what the band is doing in their rehearsal studio just on a a larger scale mm-hmm. you don't want to like i said before you don't make the reggae band sound, sound like, like a wrong, punk rock yeah, band exactly yeah so so um and i think it's knowing that and learning how to check your own personal ego and opinions of 
what you want it to sound like as to what does the band want it to sound like. And luckily then you hopefully work with bands that you like the way they sound and you can offer your two cents and then really, you know, dial in a show that makes it better for everyone. Cause you know, bands don't know everything about live sound. They're more focused on staying in time and exactly. tune and, mm-hmm. and key and all that stuff. So I look at it, it's like a, it's a symbiotic relationship between band and engineer. And that's, those are the kinds of relationships I've really tried to hone in on and, and, and stick with bands where I just, I like them musically first and foremost, and hopefully they're good people to hang right. with. Mm-hmm. And if they're not, I won't go work with them. But yeah. I'm, like, fortunately for me, like many of the people I've, I've admired musically have also turned out to be just such cool people. And that might just be because we have similar interests to begin with. So of course it's going to make sense that these relationships have gone on for a decade or so. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's pretty um, special that you have those type of relationships with the artists that you work with, man, and and you're able to, su- yeah. to sustain it for a, such a over a long period of time, man. Um, because, like you said, it's, it's just not it's not always like that, you know. And I think that's I, I, a, yeah. a big uh, how do you say compliment to to you and how you conduct yourself, and just the type of person you are and the type of energy that you you know um, evoke and all these things that people recognize and they want. They want to be around that and they want to have you around knowing that you're a cool hang and you also know what you're doing. So, I mean, no, well, thank you. Yeah. I mean, I always say, I always say this isn't heart surgery. It's rock and roll. We don't need to treat it like it's bigger than it is. No one's going to die here. Mm -hmm. You know what we hope, but you know, um, let's just like keep it all things in perspective and yeah. And let's, let's go have a good time. I mean, we're getting paid to go travel around the world, like making people happy and making things loud and, staying up all night like this is great Mm -hmm. yeah i could tell you're very you're very passionate about the music and how you i'm so bummed how how of late like it's it's hard the longest i've been i I got to mix a show like two weekends ago and it's it was my first show and i agreed to do it because it was a band i've had a relationship with and it was a production guy i've had a relationship with and me still being very uh, careful with covid and understanding that like Mm -hmm. So this doesn't sound good. This is in Vegas. This is like, and we made it work and it was really fun. And for that hour of mixing, it was bliss. Um, and then there was lucky, but there was the, 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 dare I say the reminder of just like how far we are from actually making this work and the realization of like, how do you stay six feet away from people when you're loading out? How do you, and this is just a gig where it's like me and, and two other people, none of which were running audio. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you know, how do you like not shake a guy's hand in the band? You know, there's so many, how do you, how do you remember yeah. to, to switch out the microphones and like wipe them? I mean, just like, it's all the little details, man. That there's we, so many yeah. cracks on in a system where it's mm-hmm. like, go, go, go. Yeah. I'm just, you know, it just was affirmation. Like, Oh my God. Yeah. This is really bad. And yes, we can maybe make this happen. But this isn't sustainable for any kind of career. I mean, yeah, we can go have fun and have a show, but like there are people's lives and careers at stake here. And and people can't just do charity events once every three a month and, and think that's like gonna kind of get them through work yeah, yeah. for putting food on the table for their families. Yeah. It's just it's it's unheard of. Yeah. Cause we're like a six so, six months now, man. And I mean, I know there's people out yeah. there in our industry that are struggling hard and oh, trying to I figure mean, out every day. Yeah. It's, it's yeah, I mean, I'm I'm so fortunate that I have some other things in place to to help me get by that mm-hmm. I know a lot of people don't have, and I, I'm seeing the cries for help out there of of trying to you know the whole Neva thing, which mm-hmm. I, I strongly support. Um, Ditto. 
yeah, you know, we don't have a lot of leadership right now without this turning political. Let's just say the United States in general has never been one to help out the arts. You mm -hmm. know, I have friends in Australia. I have friends in Europe. I have friends in Canada who have been helped out more um, by their countries and their understanding mm -hmm. of what the situation is. The United States doesn't give two flying fucks about you, unfortunately. And I hate to say that. But, you know, when pen comes to paper, we're, we're seeing it. Yeah, you know? proof it's, is in the pudding, man, as they say, you know? Exactly. So I, I strongly suggest people to voice their opinions on these things. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I think the Neva thing is, is important. I hope there's other things like it. Because, like, even if we get back to a certain point where it's healthy, well, if there's no venues to go play at, then what happens then? That's, that's hard. It's, yeah. it's like, you know, and then we get back into this, well, corporate, this company's opening this venue. And this corporate, so it's like, it's losing all, all the heart and the soul of mm -hmm. it, which is what this exactly, is all about. man. It's, I can't agree with you more, man. That's totally yeah, true. Yeah. So it's, it's just, it's just so, you know, discouraging on so many levels. And it's not just the musicians, it's the people that work at these venues, the managers of these managers. bands. Like, mm -hmm. it's like, it's, it, it's so widespread. It's not just like us. It's not just, it's, it's like, you know, you and I, we work at very large concerts at this point and like to put a concert on like that as you know it takes thousands of people to it really takes a village mm -hmm. and that village has been left out to dry it's and it's really unfortunate and i feel for people who are are really dealing with these times right now it's very trying times for a lot of people and, and i don't see it getting better for at least a year mm -hmm. and i hate saying that and being a pessimist but i'm just trying to be a realist and I understand. and go with the information i've we're unfortunately being presented here yeah. So, anyways, lack, that's the downer part. Of that's, information. <laughs> right. Exactly. Or misinformation. Or misin so, exactly. The more likely. Yeah. So, <laughs> so all I can say is open your eyes, open your minds, you know, yeah. and, and and think for yourself and question this authority. Mm -hmm. And and I, I I'll say that to the day I die. You know, yeah. something doesn't seem right. Question it. Yep. And maybe you're wrong, but maybe you're not. Yeah. You won't know so, until anyway. until you actually, like you said, question it. So. Yeah. So, anyways, hopefully that's the bum out portion of the interview yeah, no, is man. over. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's the it's the reality of it, though, man. You know, that's something that we all can um, connect connect on and have our own opinions and feelings on. And it's and I think it's important that we all understand that we 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 should speak up. We should you know speak our minds and say yeah. how we're feeling and and because that's the only way that other people are going to recognize that, you know, yeah. maybe they're not alone or they're, you know, it's going to help in some way or another. Um, sure. When you know that there's other and people I, out there. So. Right. And it's not just people in our business. Everyone is, is fighting this fight in their yep. own way. And, and that's taking away their ability to hear other people's problems because they have so much more on their own plate. It's mm -hmm. just, it's, it's a snowball effect. It's, it's, it's really hard to, to hopefully write the ship here, but I, I I have faith that it will it'll one day happen. Yeah. Hopefully sooner Me than too, later. Man. Yeah. I, I definitely feel like it's at that point though where I'm fiending hard and I and I sometimes yeah. get bummed out about it when I think about it and Yeah. You know, so it's it's just something that we can't forget about and we can't let the current condition dictate how we move forward in, in terms of 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 accepting the lack of the things that we had before, you know, like, mm -hmm. so we, we have to stand up and fight for what we feel is, is right. And what we feel that we deserve as a musical community, as artists, sure. you know, as engineers, musicians, everything. Yeah. So, 
we have we have a lot of voice you know mm-hmm. and it's not just us it's like the people we work for you know a lot of them are famous and they yep. they and it's not their responsibility to do this mm-hmm. but you know everything helps everything helps yeah every voice helps man so of course for sure so man. i'm voicing mine i, ho- yeah. I hope someone I love does the right thing and that's why honestly i i when i when i started on this project I could not talk about the things that are going on right now. You know, I wanted it yeah. to definitely just to be an escape for, you know, for people to sort of kind of just have those hour or two to just, you know, maybe hear some interesting stories or perhaps have a laugh or two. But it also has to uh, be about, you know, the present times and all the, of the, course. the struggles that we're going through right now. As of a, course. And how and, do we get back there? Exactly. Yep. To those good times. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I could so give you a whole solutions list of, of yeah. Yeah, I mean, I could give give you a list of happy stories right now, which exactly, I hope you yeah. get to, to to press on. But um, yeah, it is it is important to keep with the times and to understand the, the situation at hand and, and how monumental and how unique it is and and un- unprecedented. Mm-hmm. So it's uh, you know, I hope everyone out there is is not holding their breath, waiting for a paycheck to come, and is, is has taken some steps to to mitigate, you know, the, the, the disaster that this all is. And, and hopefully, you know, through that are learning some other skills or some other hobbies or just something to make you smile and wake up in the, in the morning, you know, like Mm -hmm. that is, that's all important stuff too. And, and this music stuff will come back. There's, there's never been a time since the history of music, that mystery, that music didn't exist, Mm -hmm. be it from like banging in a a drum in a cave to the hippie movements in the sixties with that, you know, it's like, Music is here. It's not going away, and it's a part of everyone's life in the world. Exactly. And if you find someone who doesn't like music, you got to probably question, like, well, what's wrong with this person? You know, <laughs> it's like saying you don't like Bob Marley. It's like, well, yeah. have you ever met anyone who said that? No. <laughs> it's like one of those things. Yeah, exactly. Speaking of Bob Marley, dude, I, I saw that uh, you had a picture. You went to Bob Marley's house in Kingston. Is that? I I did. Yeah. Um, That's it so was cool. Funny. I it it was I. Uh, <laughs> I had just gone off this solo trip in Thailand and Okay, so you I wasn't sure when I was looking at those pictures if it was on va- for a vacation or if you were working and you were just sort of getting to visit well, these places. I I was in Jamaica working. I had flown from Thailand oh, okay. to Jamaica to work with this band, this this pop band I've I've worked for a few times called R five. Um, oh R five, yeah. My buddy Eddie, uh, they're the Disney band, right? Sure. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My buddy Eddie <laughs> so, do you know Eddie Mead? I don't think he was, so. He was a drum tech. He did one tour with oh. him a few summers ago. Okay. Yeah, I've just done some one-off stuff okay. with them. Um, their manager back in the day managed another artist I worked with and put us in touch. And I think their dad kind of runs the band yeah, at yeah. that point. Was mm-hmm. um, And we hit it off. And so they, they flew me to Jamaica. And I was like, okay, cool. I'll stay an extra day. I haven't been to Jamaica yeah. since I was eight. It's going to be this tropical paradise. And boy, was I wrong. Um <laughs> Especially on Sunday, because everything in Kingston is not open on Sunday. So if anything, it gave me a chance to just basically recoup from my crazy trip to Thailand. But I did take a moment. I did go to Bob's house because that was one of the things that was open. Yeah. And believe it or not, I did have some local weed. So um, I definitely lit up a big joint under his tree. And Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, you know, try to live those those Bob vibes, man. I mean, I won't say he's my my favorite musician but mad respect i mean like the godfather of all that is reggae yeah. um and 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 so much more than that from what i've the little i do know about what causes he was going for um mm. just seemed like one of those special dudes and i could 
I felt that there. That was that was a that was a nice moment. Oh yeah, pretty cool yeah. story, man. I, I was actually yeah. the um, I was actually born on the day that they had the One Love Reggae Festival in Kingston, oh, nice. Jamaica. That was, okay. my, that was on my birthday, dude. I was born that day. When's that? April twenty second, nineteen seventy eight. Okay. That was the uh, when he brought the two uh, presidents together and mm. had them shake hands on stage. It's and, excellent. Yeah, it was great. I didn't realize that until I watched uh, Marley, the documentary Marley. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, oh, snap. So, yeah, I have. I obviously beautiful. have some things to learn about the man. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, for, real quick, too. Like, I went to Jamaica a few years ago. I, was, I did one of those cruises, those rock cruises with. Uh, oh, God, I, I love a, the rock cruise. Yeah, right. I was a Still <laughs> yeah. Panther. We did, a, I think it was a Kiss cruise. I think we did. Um, oh, shit. I've done the Kiss cruise. Uh, yeah. I no, it's stop 24 7 Kiss music. I was like, God, was it, was it during Halloween? Uh, by chance? I. We, I don't remember. I have done. I want to say we did do a fe uh, cruise on Halloween. I think that might have been the Kid Rock cruise, though. Gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we did some weird ones. But uh, but yeah, the the Kiss cruise we did. We we um, we laid over it in uh, uh, in Jamaica. What city was that? Oh, I forget what port. Uh, there's there's like Ocho's Rios. Ocho's Rios. Uh, That's what it was. Ocho's Rios. Yeah. Uh -huh. And uh, so I knew because I'd never been to Jamaica, and I was really excited. And we, yeah, we, that's we, a good side of the island. Right. And we, we docked yeah. it, we docked early and I just, and we, and I had no weed or nothing, you know? So I was like, I was fiending. I was like, all right, I want to get off and go try to find some local weed. So I yeah. get off by myself. And four seconds later. Yeah. Right. <laughs> well, well, once I got past all the touristy sort of like the, the, the vendors and stuff that were trying to like hustle you in any way they could. Yeah, I'm gonna go ahead and step in here because you know Matt A. I mean, God bless him. He is a gentle man, and he does have good intentions. But sometimes he could just ramble on, you know, and drag out a story. You're like, man, wrap it up. So I'm just gonna go ahead and take over and uh, take a five minute story and make it into like a two minute story for you. How you like that? All right, Dan. So what he was saying is he was getting off the boat there in Ocho Rios. He was going on a little walk, trying to find a little bit of that green green. And when Matt was out there walking around, he bumped into a really nice local man. And the man was like, hey man, I think I could help you out. Matt was like, cool, what are we going to do then? So he's like, hey, man, follow me. We're going to go hop in my car. I'm going to take you on a little ride. So Matt's like, cool, man, let's go. So they hop in the car, go for a little ride over down to the bay, where when they show up, it's like a fishing village there. There's like about 30, 40 huts there. Matt was like tripping out because he's like never been to Jamaica before, and he was really, really enjoying the authentic experience that he was going through. So when they got out of the car, they hopped up into one of those little huts there, and Matt hopped in there, and he noticed that there was a bar in there, and there's a little bartender there with a couple little tables. Matt went up to the bar, and he was like, hey, man, do you mind if I grab me a red stripe there, Mr. Bartender? Bartender was like, yeah, man, welcome to Jamaica. Matt was like, well, thanks for having me, man. I also heard you give me some of that green, Mr. Bartender. Bartender was like, yeah, man, of course I can get you some of that green, man. You're in Jamaica. And I was like, oh, goddamn, that's fantastic, Mr. Bartender. So Matt go ahead and sit down, got himself some of that weed, rolls himself some joints, drink some red stripes, gets his buzz on, having a good old time, having the greatest experience of his life. He couldn't believe it. It was crazy insane. So then once Matt was chilling for a little bit, Matt went up to his home. He was like, yo, man, I think I'm ready to get back home now. And the man was like, you know what? I think I got you. So Matt was like, you know, before we got you, I just want to show you my appreciation. Because you've been so cool with me, I want to give you a little bit of my American dollar, sir. And he was like, you know what, man, I appreciate that. So Matt goes, give him some, hook him up, and then they leave there, they head back down to the docks. Once they get to the docks, Matt gets out of the car, walks up to the boat, safe and sound, back on the boat. Damn, it was a good day. And there you go. End of story, mission accomplished. So that was my mission accomplished. Yeah, that was my Jamaican uh, uh, experience. That was funny. Awesome. So yeah. when I saw you that picture with Bob, I was like, oh, yeah. Yeah, no, I'm glad you reminded me of that. I'd, I'd forgotten about that. Hell that's, yeah, that's, uh, that's great. Thank you. For sure, man. And uh, let me let me talk to you a little bit about some of the, you know, through all your traveling and through all the different um, sort of venues and shows that you've been through. And um, there's a few different aspects to that. One, 
the difference between mixing like a club to a theater and then mm-hmm. to like an like a, a stadium or an arena or even an outdoor mm-hmm. festival sure the differences in those and then also the differences in the the crowds when you're traveling to these different countries and having these different type of shows and how you, sure. the differences you notice in those. I got a good one when we yeah. come back to that. Let's okay. start with your first question yeah, yeah. about different sizes of venues. So mm-hmm. I'll, I'll start off by saying that um, I cut my teeth in clubs. Um, first at Malibu Inn, which is a 500 cap room. Yep. Um, and then the only other venue I've actually technically been hired by ever in the world is uh, the Hotel Cafe. Hotel Cafe. And the Hotel Cafe is, for those that don't know, um, was one of the premier singer-songer uh, venues in, honestly, in, in the world, um, especially between like, I don't know, I want to say 07 and 10. Mm-hmm. Um, I was there from 2008, 2010. Um, and my first statement has nothing to do with me working there. It just happened right. to do with the talent that was coming through there. Yeah, um, and true. it was one, of the, was one of the greatest sounding rooms. It was very dead. It mm-hmm. had a live piano. Um, we had a lot of singer songwriters come through there and sometimes it's just really hard to mix when you only got two faders to work with. You got a voice and a guitar and you hope both of them are really good, but sometimes they're not. Right. (laughs) Um, you know, what do you do in those situations? You are active and you try to pick out the best things that you're being given to mix. Um, and sometimes you just can't polish a turd. Now that being said, I didn't have many turds to polish through there. Luckily this was a venue that got a lot of great bands and um i could you know pete townsend played there ben harper played there john mayer played there a mm-hmm. bunch like and then all these local la bands if anytime there was a nashville showcase it would happen there and, and i hate to sell it say it la folks but the nashville people were so much more talented or oh, damn. if it, it, yeah i know i hate saying it they were uh they, you could see and the, mind you these are the people who might have gone out of nashville so yeah. it was you're taking the cream of the crop versus maybe just the general public. So I, I get that. Mm-hmm. Um, same with like the Australian bands that came to there. There were some guys who were just, just, just great. You know, I, think that's I had the- great, great American bands too. I mean, I don't, I don't want to take anything away. I'm just saying if you played that room and you weren't from LA, you were doing something right. Yeah. And if you did play that room in general, you were doing something right. Mm-hmm. And my job was to try to, you know, help you out. A lot of times there were showcases there and, and contracts were being signed after the show if things went well. And that was really nice to cool know to be you a part were helping of, yeah. some. Yeah. yeah. It's like, that's, that's the biggest compliment a band can give you is like, I just got signed cause you mixed my show and the right person so heard it. It sounded cool. great. Like you can't give me a better compliment. Yeah. I love that, man. So, um, so yeah, like that really helped me cut my teeth and it was, you know, four or five bands a night. Uh, rapid fire, 10 to 15 minute changeovers, you know, no time to even go take a piss. <laughs> right. You know, it was like I could either go smoke weed in, in the, in the, in the outside with Dan or go take a piss. And I usually <laughs> would go hang out with Dan. <laughs> um, hey, but you know, the staff was do. cool there. It was a family. It was great. You know, yeah, all yeah. the bartenders, everyone, it was just like this little unique thing. And everyone, you know, who was at the hotel cafe, shout out to all those guys, like know exactly what I'm talking about. It was one of the very few communities I really felt a part of musically in LA. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that's just because that's how LA is. And it's a very in and out kind of city and people get hired to do major gigs and then they don't come back or, right. you know, I think it's just a little different, but there was a really great community there that um, spawned. So anyways, to, I'm rambling to, to answer your questions. If you can mix a club, you can pretty much mix anything because, Clubs 
are usually usually not set up to be the best sounding places. They're the places to be conducive to selling alcohol and making the club money, right. which mm-hmm. is where they do make their money, not off ticket sales. Yep. So the PA might not be in the right place, or the mixing board might not be in the right place. Yeah, exactly. And the gear might not be working because they had to buy, you know, new beer glasses to replace the broken ones. But I still have a broken tweeter up there or mic cables that sometimes work, you know. Yep. So I think if you if you learn how to mix in a club, you can mix in any environment. That being said, a bigger environment is only going to amplify your job in terms of do you know what you're doing or not. So... I've had the pleasure of, you know, mixing many theater tours and I, I find those are probably, you know, the hardest to, to do, especially if they were built before the thirties, before mm-hmm. amplified music was a thing. Cause they were meant to do the opposite. They were me- meant to project say an orchestra or an opera or whatever thing there Just was naturally without. acoustically. Yeah. Right. Which yeah. is not, as we all know what you want, mm-hmm. um, at least for, the genre I usually do. Yeah, we want a more world. treated space, basically. Sure, typically. so that we can, right. So yeah. I find a lot of those venues, like in LA, the Wiltern's a prime example of that. Oh, the yeah. Wiltern, like, I wouldn't say it sounds like shit, but it certainly can. I've heard it sound like shit. Yeah. Um, and it's a very hard room. And until they put the newer PA in there, like, it was severely underpowered. And um, it was just hard to mix. It gets really muddy in there, as a lot of these, these, kinds of venues do especially in the 100 to 200 range where there's just bass frequencies that are just oh, yeah. compounding on each other and i'm sure you know that so mm-hmm. um you know if you can mix that you can do anything you know i find the easiest thing is like give me main stage coachella with an acoustics line array and no room to fuck me up um mm-hmm. to me that's the easiest gig there is if you can't do that gig then you probably shouldn't be mixing right because like that's all you you know there's not a lot of you're set up for success really... pretty much at yeah, the beginning, unless you know? unless you have like a major windstorm come through exactly, and you're dealing yeah. with that kind of stuff, like mm-hmm. which I've seen, and you oh, can't yeah. you can't defeat Mother Nature. Ask uh, what was that band Foles? Oh my God, they got two sets just destroyed at at Coachella just because oh, of weather. weird weather and phasing. The speakers are going in and out. Oh, yeah. It's just like you know you can't you can't fight nature, but. I would say, you know, these larger format shows, especially outdoors, are where I have my my greatest achievements in sonic clarity. Mm-hmm. Um, because you can create your own space. And you know, I, I was I did a, a stadium tour last year. Um and I, I couldn't believe the PA how how unbelievable it was and how quiet it was behind it and how little reflection there was and how clean my band sounded just off the get-go without even a sound check. It, it's you know we've been given just such great technology to work with um, over over time with the advent of the line array and digital desks and being able to recall everything. It's like it's it's gotten to the point where you shouldn't really fail, mm-hmm. but you have to like cut your teeth in in the clubs to really understand signal flow and to understand troubleshooting in in a quick way you know you mm-hmm. don't get to like push pause and be like hey let's everyone go take 20 minutes while i figure out why this lead vocal is not right. working yeah, exactly. you know it doesn't work like gotta that you gotta now you gotta think and fast and you exactly. gotta you gotta be calm and you gotta mm-hmm. you gotta incite a, a sense of calmness in the band because they have no idea what's going on even if they caused it even if they just unplug themselves which right. i would sometimes happens say has, yeah sometimes happens yep. sometimes more than they want to admit yep. um so you have to quickly identify what the problem is and, and more problems happen in clubs because it's usually just you. 
You don't have a guy on stage running monitors or teching who can run out there and fix the kick drum mic or plug the bass player back in or exactly you patch patch a new line or whatever. You have to like do this shit in the middle of the show and you got to run through a crowd and go to a stage and dig out something in a box in a dark room. Like it's, you know, the pressure's on, the yeah. red lights are flashing. So I, I think, yeah, like learning in a club really taught me the mentality of how to then deal with these shows where like, let's say a lot more is online monetarily. You don't want like the PA to just fall apart while you're mixing in front of 70,000 people. It's just, it's unacceptable. Totally. <laughs> so, and yeah, so, you know, luckily I, I've been through enough to have the wherewithal to hopefully fix those situations before they even arise. And if they do arise then quickly and calmly solve them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we've all been there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. How, is, how has that changed for you over the years in terms of how you deal with those situations? Do you feel you've become more calm and more confident in understanding how to deal, Absolutely. How to deal with that? Yeah, I think instead of just from the early days of randomly turning knobs and hoping a feedback is going to go away, it's yeah. like, you know, learning, well, identifying the source of the issue and learning. A lot of what we do is just patterns and you see mm -hmm. patterns form either good or bad and you learn what works and you learn what doesn't and i can now like go into a room and before i even play a song through the pa yet alone get the band up there i can tell you where there might be issues and try to adjust those issues as best as i can ahead of time so that when the band does come on stage we're not running into these same issues i talk about things like front fills is there enough coverage in the front right. do we need to turn monitors around do we need to whatever is there not enough channels here for the support band to get on um you know just any number of issues that could happen on that smaller level that you know luckily on this larger level aren't issues we we're on our own desk we're not sharing channels or some of the things you might deal with in a smaller club but it's just the mentality of okay it's i, I can't stress signal flow enough and like learning that and like being confident of knowing it. And it's a lot different now than it used to is because things are digital, but the same concepts apply. So if you don't understand it, it's, you, you just got to do some homework and, and learn how the things you're working on work, Yeah, you know, and, and me too. Like there's always new things to learn and, and new ways to do things and new ways to route signal and, and yeah, try and fail and mm -hmm. try again. No, I feel, so, I feel you on that for sure. Yeah. Hey yo, what up? It's me, Signal Flow. That's right, but you could call me Sig, know your flow. You feel me? Because we're tight now, you know? And that's why I had to interject. Because my boy Adam here, he was just talking about me. As well, if you've been listening to any of the past episodes, then you know a lot of people have been talking about me. Because you know why? Because I am important, damn it. And if you do not recognize, or grasp the fundamental concept of what I am or how I am used, then you are going to have some real big problems. So I don't know how many more times you need to hear this, but you must learn, study, and understand everything there is to know about me. Signal flow. You must signal your flow. And once you do, you're off to a good start. All right? I believes in you. You believes in you, okay? Don't give up. Keep going. Next step, 
gain structure. And with the, um, when you're doing like the, the larger venues, larger arenas and stuff like that, bigger PAs as opposed to the clubs and stuff, did you find mm -hmm. that you're, the way that you're setting up your disc and the way that you're, you're setting up your gain structure, all those things change because maybe in mm -hmm. a club you're maybe pushing a little harder at times, you know, but when, a, when you have a PA that's, you know, set up properly, you have more, you can yeah. allow yourself more headroom sort of things like that, you know? I, I totally agree with you. I think the, the biggest example of that would be like, say, vocal structure, okay. gain structure. Um, you know, sometimes at a club, as you know, you're, you're dealing with, obviously, you're dealing with the stage volume, which may or may not be more powerful than your actual PA. Mm -hmm. So unless you get that under control, you might have to gain your singer way up just to get them above on top of, no, anything, top of yeah, you know, exactly. and, and you might chew up their mic and the cymbals might be louder than the vocals. So that goes into preparation where you even set things up and knowing how to identify these issues. Um, mm -hmm. On larger things, I don't think it's really affected that, my gain structure um, per se. I think there are times where I'm like, I can push, say, the master up above zero and let it be more of a karaoke system and let the band fill in the rest. Okay. Um, more easily in a large scale thing than a club setting because there is, I think it comes back to more like separation though. When you're on a larger, a larger stage, mm -hmm. you're not three feet in front of a drum kit. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, that helps. Or, yeah, the know, isolation between, helps. The, between the, the, iso, the sources. Yeah. yeah. Right. I mean, I remember the first time I mixed at Coachella, I was, I was scared shitless, man. Oh, yeah. I'm like, I've never mixed on a, a rig, be it a Coachella or anything, just a rig that big. And I turned it on, I'm like, oh my God, I feel like I'm mixing in a studio. Like there's such separation. I, I, I actually turned a fader up one and a half dB and I you hear it. it. I, don't yeah. have to, I don't have to crank it up 10 dB to hear one. Exactly. I can hear the EQ. I can hear the nuance. So to me, it was like, I guess the example would be like, I, I can't say I've driven many sports cars, but like, say like the Coachella PA is the Ferrari uh -huh. and the club PA is, you know, you're your your ford focus yeah. or whatever yeah. and they both can get the job done yeah but the bigger one will maneuver better and it will you don't have to maybe drive it so much exactly you said it has you those, can, those those intricacies that you know allow yeah. you to just to do it to a how do you say handle just a little easier you know sure. a little more with a little more high performance you know sort of sensitivity yeah. to it so so i'm moving here because i gotta get closer to an outlet to plug my computer in oh, but yeah I, I i think um yeah i love mixing large scale because one i think it's easier i think it's more enjoyable to mix for that many people right. and yeah I, like i love it when a pa reacts the way i want it to and i can better hone my mix to what i think my band wants to give people how how much better do you feel you are from the the beginning of that until now in in, in terms of you go to like a festival and you, in the PA, you, boom, the PA fires up and you're rocking it and you're like, you're noticing like, man, this feels like I'm being clamped down a little bit. Or I feel like mm -hmm. I'm not, I'm pushing, I'm pushing harder than I need to because something, something's going on with the PA, you know, like, mm -hmm. have you, have you had many of those moments? I haven't had many because, mm -hmm. um, luckily I've been on some really great tours with yeah. some really great systems tech mm -hmm. and, you know, all the horror stories you hear about them trying to screw over the opening band by like only giving them half the speakers or whatever. Yeah, like, yeah. I don't think that's really happened to me because like these people are smart enough to know to use my set as, you know, 
an indication of what's going to happen when their bigger headlining band plays. Like I do a lot of the support gigs for like these massive bands. So I've, I've been on some yeah, incredible PA. Yeah. Yeah. I saw that. Yeah. You were I, out with Muse. I've mixed them all. Yeah. We've supported Muse. We've supported Tame Impala. We've supported the Arctic who? Monkeys. The Who. Yeah. The Rolling Stones. I mean, yeah, it's like, it's, I got to pitch myself sometimes because these are, these are my heroes. Yeah. Um, but in terms of like the, those bands, sound teams and their their system techs i think they've been nothing but helpful because it's it's their show too they want their fans to enjoy a, a, a pleasant sounding opener yeah, i mean i've an overall been told, experience as opposed to just right. i've the, been the you know yeah. i've had db limits uh put on me either mm-hmm. because of the uh the, the support band isn't allowed to play or there's local laws mm-hmm. and even the headlining band can't play so yeah i think there's there's, I've been lucky. I've mixed on some really great PAs with some really great support. Yeah. And I haven't experienced, yeah, many of these nightmare stories that you hear about. Luckily. Oh, that's good. Mm-hmm. Well, what, what is your approach when you are the opening band, when it comes to like volume, I guess, and as how, how loud you're going to mix the opening band in comparison to what sure. the headliner is going to sound like? I think it depends on your audience. Um, okay. You know, for instance, a good example, I was out with a band called Vintage Trouble and I was hired to do their, their tour where they supported The Who. Great we band. Doing the whole quadrant. Great band. Love that band. Um, so good. So underrated. Go watch, go watch Vintage Trouble for yeah. all these people who don't know who they are. Okay, but in the meantime, what we can do for them is give them a little taste, you know? A little audio snippet of one of those concerts from the Fire Pit Sessions. So if you are listening and you want to watch the whole videos... You go over to the firepitsessions.coms on the computers and you can find it there along with many other great videos. But for now, enjoy this little taste. There's certain songs that happen to hit the time and that time seems to scream for the song, you know what I mean? A lot of times you try and lead what you think people are going to want. And for some reason, a lot of people ask us to do this next song before we went on tour and it just was the biggest most magical moments I think that we've spent as a band and we're a band that's like to run around and act crazy a lot but it was the time to speak to the world about speaking out and this song is called Not Alright By Me and it's Adam's favorite song and so here you go um you know, we were playing to audiences in their 60s because they were Who fans they weren't Vintage Trouble fans exactly. they were by the end of the show but right. They were 60, so you have to understand that some of these people might think it's a little too loud, you know, yeah, like yeah. that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, so knowing how to necessarily – you can have a, a powerful, quieter mix. In fact, I try to mix quieter. I, there's, it's not hard to, to mix loud. You just turn all the faders up. Exactly. It's, it's, it doesn't take a genius to do that. Um, and loud is great if the mix is great but if the mix isn't great then all you're doing is making a shitty mix sound louder and that's that's not helping your cause <laughs> ain't nobody got time for that <laughs> yeah so um you know i i like dynamics i say yes. i'd like to say i'm a dynamic yes. mixing engineer Hell i yeah. i'm not trying to squash a system to make it sound better or more level i i'm okay with with loudness and I'm okay with quietness because mm-hmm. that's what rock and roll is. It's like, it's peaks and valleys, climaxes. You know? yeah. yeah. And and if it's all the same, well then you don't feel as much. Your emotional range is, is just shortened on both ends. Totally. Um, I'm okay with feedback every now and again. It makes it real. Mm-hmm. 
you know, it's it's not this show with playbacks and it's not a karaoke thing. It's rock and roll, a mm-hmm. lot of the stuff I do. So it's dangerous and it's loud and it's shit's moving all over the stage and singers are jumping into crowds and, you know, yes. it's all great fun. It's it's and, and luckily the bands I've worked with have done all these things. That's why I've, I've chosen to work and stick with these bands because they make me happy yeah, yeah. and I love their music and, you know, um, yeah, it's, yeah. So to answer your, your previous question here, let's, let's flip it for a oh, second yeah, 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 yeah. about, about how music is, is, is perceived around the world. I'll yes. give you a great story here. And actually this comes back to that bed R5, which okay. I, I've probably done like eight gigs for in my life, but right. I'll give you one. We were playing, um, we were playing summer Sonic in, in Japan in, in Japan. And as you may or may not know, half the bands will play in Osaka the other half will play in Tokyo, and then the next day they switch. It's on yep. Saturday, Sunday. Mm-hmm. So we were we were first up on the main stage, one of the greatest sounding stages I've ever played. Props to all those guys. Um, it was I'm trying to remember. I what think I've been to it that. Clay, it, was, it was it was a Claire Brothers PA, which isn't necessarily my favorite PA of the big ones, but yeah. it was, my God, it was the best sounding Claire Brothers PA I've ever heard. So, anyways, we um, we were first up on the main stage in Tokyo. Okay. And right after our set, we got on a plane and flew to Osaka. And I did some research knowing that Radiohead was headlining um, Osaka that night. And it's like an hour and a half flight. And we got in around 6 o'clock. And because it's Japan, the headliner goes on around like, you know, 8.15. Yeah, 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 exactly. Right. <laughs> so I had him take us over. I, I convinced the guys in the band. I'm like, you should really go see Radiohead. If you don't know who they are, like, Because they're, go see they're young cats, the great- right? The R5, they're young they're cats, young, yeah. So they're, sure, and they. I, so I'm trying sure to turn them on who, to some 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 real good I'm, shit, you know. I'm trying to you know give them some elderly advice yeah, here, there you go. Um, and I'm sure they know who Radiohead is. Let's let's be yeah. honest here, but I don't think they had seen him before. So we, I convinced the festival instead of taking us to our hotel to take us straight to the festival in Osaka, so we could we could hear Radiohead. And I think we got there at like eight oh six, and it was it was dead quiet. It was as if. Like they were just told their emperor had been like massacred and yeah. just this horrible, like just like the worst thing had ever happened. Right. But no, everything was fine. None of that had ever happened. It's just how things are in, in Japan. Now, so, so you were telling me about the Radiohead story. So Radiohead, yeah. So we get to the field where Radiohead's about to play. It's, it's, it's just quiet. Like I said, it was eerily quiet. Mm-hmm. But that's just how they are. And I got to experience Radiohead in the quietest setting I think I'll ever get to see them. I've seen them at the Hollywood Bowl in the Greek and people are going nuts, and yep. as they should. Yep. But to hear Radiohead, and this was on their record, what is it, like the, the Moon record? I forget the full name of it. But like it's a very mellow record. Um, um, what's that? It's whatever their newest record was yeah. that came out. Yeah. And, but if you know that re- – yeah, it was like heart-shaped moon or, I don't know, I'm butchering that. But regardless, <laughs> it's a very mellow record. Hey Siri, can you help us out and tell us the name of this Radiohead record we can't think of? Yes, the, the record, record is called A Moon-Shaped Pool, released in the year 2016. And it's a beautiful record and very nuanced record. And because of that, and they played a lot of it, um, oh, okay. we got to experience this, this band playing this beautiful music in a, in a space where no one was talking. And as you know, especially being at front of house, if people are talking all around you, sometimes louder than the PA, it mm-hmm. gets really distracting. So, so for hearing one of my all time favorite bands in this setting, 
across the world, you know, you just got to pinch yourself. Like, I can't believe I'm getting paid to be here and, and experience this moment. And it was a great mix. And it was just, it was one of those moments I remember, cause I, I like I said, I'd seen them before, but it was something really special about seeing them in Japan. And, yeah. and, you know, I could tell you, like, I've done, what's that festival in Rio, like rock in Rio, right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Where people, I think that's the largest stage I think I've ever seen. I think you put a hundred thousand people plus in that field and yeah. they go bun and oh, yeah. because they don't have this stuff happening all the time, all the time yeah. you know? So watching crowds there or in Europe or other parts of South America, I would mm-hmm. say, I'd say like, I don't want to say they're better crowds, but maybe they're a little more engaging with the music yeah. and less on their phone yeah, as, th- as we see here in the States, especially in LA and New York. Yeah. I think uh, in the States, maybe we're a little spoiled to some degree, you know, and I think that oh, yeah. other countries around the world, or just have a little bit of, of more appreciation for. They're not as know. jaded. They don't. They yeah, don't yeah. have. You know, in LA, like it's not as accessible to them. You know, you can go watch five great bands on any given night, or at least you used to be able to. So yeah. it's it's just you lose you lose that. And mm-hmm. like honestly, I always thought LA was the lamest place to play on tour after traveling the world oh, yeah. or traveling the yeah. just because it's like, hey guys, like there's a band playing. Why don't you shut the fuck up and get off your your instagram yeah, yeah. like are you really going to go back and watch all this stuff like you're here right now you paid for a ticket like yeah. enjoy the moment that you're paying for the for your time here mm-hmm. but i get it everyone's got a different way of uh you know feeding their own ego or whatever you want to call it yeah. enjoying themselves whatever um so yeah i i've enjoyed doing music in other countries let's just say that yeah, I, I except will... china china sucks <laughs> so here i've never been and i saw you went and i was like oh shit and I've been three times. It's pretty restrictive there, I heard. And Oh, well, I mean, it's a communist country. Yeah. And, you know, I don't take that lightly. You see that mm-hmm. in the way people react, that it's okay to clap. It's okay to smile. It's okay to enjoy yourselves. But when a government's been telling you your whole life, like, no, it's not. Yeah. I mean, it's, and like I said, I won't get political or any of that. Let's just say China leaves a lot to be desired. Yeah. Japan will make you feel bad about how you know, not um, thorough you can be with your own gig. Like they'll set up your stage better than you oh, are yeah. by watching insane, a YouTube right? video. It's, yeah. it's insane. They'll like, have they'll 10 people measuring. Like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, yeah, so I, I kind of want to touch on Japan here too, because my experiences are sort of similar. Um, mm-hmm. I was there with Steel Panther and it just uh-huh. happened that our guitar player and Steel Panther, I don't know if people are familiar, but their singer and their guitar player, in between songs, they do a lot of ranting, a lot of bantering, you know, that's right. a big part yeah. of their show, you know? Um, it just so happened though, that the singer, the guitar player, actually, he was sick and he lost his voice. So mm-hmm. he was, he could barely talk, you know? Like that. So it just so happened that it happened the day before a show, show in Japan. So we, we had the, day, the uh, show the next day and we do the gig. And like you were saying, the crowd was so quiet and so respectful mm-hmm. right. and he was able to do the show and you could and still have the same effect because the crowd was so quiet and because he could right. barely speak, you know. So that was that was a trip. I was like, "What? It's crazy." Yep. How how funny is that? It it happened to have been in the right place, that, you know, for a situation right. like that. Right. Um, yeah, and like oh. you said too, they're like army ants out there, man. When we do festivals and stuff in Japan, they're like Brrr, they have the whole system locked down. They have everything it's dialed. It's, yeah, it's, labeled, it's numbered, and yeah, everything. And yeah, it's like it makes yep. your job way easier and way easier yeah i definitely appreciate that and and also like the shows i've done in south america and europe and i'd say even canada i think canada holds holds their own when it comes to great crowds as well 
Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, you just see it. it it's, it's. I'm not. I'm not trying to like downplay how awesome shows are here in the states or anything. It's just. It's definitely different, you know, when you travel to a different country and you, different. you see the excitement. A lot more sure. uh, fans are more um, probably going to be hanging outside the venue more, you know, mm-hmm. being a Lining little more up early. Yeah, line up a little yeah. more fanatic about the band, being at their hotels, sure. the airports, right. all these sort of things, you know, that you don't necessarily yeah. see so much in the U.S. Um, right. But That's over, where the over... international lounges are, are helpful. Exactly, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I've been, I've been with bands where, you know, the fans are chasing, we're running, you know, like, yeah, you know, cause uh, you're trying to get to whatever gate or whatever sure. on the train, whatever, something like that. So, uh-huh. and also uh, we play some shows in Russia. Have you ever been to Russia before? I have not. I'd love oh, to go. Man. So that was crazy. Um, same sort of thing. Like with China, you were saying uh, where I was with still Panther. And before we went on, they told, you know, a lot of the bands banters, sex, drugs, rock and roll, show me your tits, you know, make out all these things, you know, that, <laughs> uh, that don't necessarily go over well in a, in a country like Russia. So they told right. us that, well, we couldn't, you couldn't, uh, make fun of Putin at all. You couldn't talk about, you couldn't talk any <laughs> sort of, yeah, you couldn't say anything yeah. that had, had any sort of like, nothing uh, that rhymes with Putin either. Like nothing. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, you couldn't say, how to talk about anything that had to do with homosexuality, Right. Uh, anything that's questioning the government, mm-hmm. all, they gave they gave the band all, all these guidelines. They said if you did mention yeah. any of these things, they would shut it down right away and they would You're get banned. arrested. Yep. 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 Yeah, I've so, been threatened with the same stuff in China. Like when yeah. you go play in China, they request to know every song you're playing and the lyrics and all that. There mm-hmm. was there was an instance I was there with this this singer songwriter girl. Um, sweetest thing could be like sings like kids music sometimes, and I remember we were covering a song by this Taiwanese artist. Right, just okay. this kids song. I don't even know what it translated, but nothing like offensive mm-hmm. to say the least. But apparently, like a few months before, this Taiwanese artist had said something that wasn't anti-China. It was just a pro-Taiwan thing. And I don't know if you know the whole beef with those two countries, but it's long. Okay. So we weren't allowed to play that song. They're like, you can't play that song because this Taiwanese artist didn't say anything negative about China. It just was pro-Taiwan. Yeah. So it's like. Okay, so I mean, yeah, man, there's there's definitely restricted speech and and all this shit all over the world. And thank God we live in a country where you can say the things you want, albeit stupid some of the times. Um, <laughs> right. It's you know we have these privileges that a lot of other people, you know, we take for granted these privileges. And you know these are funny stories, but like you, you bring that over to well, if they're saying this to us, who are like these high esteemed musicians coming across the pond. What are they doing to their own citizens? And then you really got to ask yourself, like, how deep does this lie? And that's a conversation for a whole other oh, yeah. podcast. But exactly. yeah, it's it's out there. That's that's what this job has done. It opens your eyes not only to music, but like how, how is how are people treated? Yeah, the different ways of life, different cultures, the different ways that people are being treated by their own countries and stuff like that. Right. And it's it could be yeah. sort of uh, disheartening at times when you start to Absolutely. dig deep into it. You know. Absolutely. Um, and, uh, you, you told, you were telling me about a story with Vintage Trouble when you guys were opening up for Def Leppard in Sweden, yeah. in Sweden. Tell me a little bit about what happened with that. I, okay. I'm pretty sure it was in Sweden. I think what happened was, well, it was, it was like the travel day from hell, you know, like three flights. And then we had to take a boat, um, 
Oh, wait, no, I'm getting confused. Okay, so no, there were two shows in Sweden. One was where they lost half our gear, and that's where we played with Def Leppard. So we oh, okay. showed up to this place, like, mm -hmm. I think 30 minutes before we were supposed to hit, and, like, the airline had lost, like, half our bags, but oh, we weren't shit. sure which ones until we got to the venue. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, like, our guitars were missing. Pulling our your IEM hair rack. out, like, ah. Yeah, our IEM rack was missing. Oh. Like, just like, oh, my God, what are we going to do? And, you know, the answer is we're going to go play a fucking rock and roll show. We're yeah. going to go turn it up. And we're going to play a show without monitors because you can do that still, God mm -hmm. forbid. And, you know, I know our, our stage tech was dealing a lot with Def Leppard's guys, um, and they were so helpful, like giving us guitars and giving us, you know, guitar stands and giving us strings. And just like we, we showed up with like nothing yeah. for a pretty major show. And, you know, we pulled it off and, you know, hats off to the guys in that crew that, that made that happen. And for the band for just going with it, you yeah. know, I always tell bands, you know, no one in the audience is going to know anything is wrong until you actually let them know that something is wrong. Most people are drunk beyond belief and they just... Mm -hmm. are trying to forget about their terrible lives so, so true man there's no need to like tell them that something's gone wrong and we lost half our gear yeah. <laughs> and it's sitting somewhere between here and london exactly you know um yeah so yeah props to the band know. for that man being pros and just going along with it yeah and understanding the, the logistics yeah. of it all and just making it happen man that's that's awesome man you asked me about a quote and I, i'd say that quote fits here it's it's not the punch it's the role mm-hmm and, you know, we had to roll with it mm -hmm. <laughs> for that show after getting punched down by the yep. airlines yep. and, you know, a terrible traffic day, um, you know. And that's just one no of those died. things that, rock and roll. That in our industry that we're constantly having to deal with as engineers, as tour managers, as production managers, as even as the artists, you know, like yeah. you just never know what's going to happen. You have to be adaptable and be willing to, right. you know, um, figure it, find solutions and, right. and, and just go with it, you know, roll with it. So let your talent be the, the thing that leads you to say, instead of giving them the show you wanted to present, giving them the most special show, even if it's mm -hmm. just like you turn this rock thing down to an acoustic thing and tell them what happens. You're like, Hey guys, we don't normally do this, but because such and such happened, this is the situation. Yeah. So instead of canceling the show, we're going to give you something special you haven't seen before. Yes. I love that. You know, there's, there's ways to flip it here, Hell you know, yeah. be it true or not, you know, you gotta, you're salesmen, you're, you're entertainers, you know, mm -hmm. don't sell them a bad time of your shitty day. They don't give, no one cares. Exactly. <laughs> and, uh, and being someone who I feel, like I said earlier, that probably gets along you know, pretty easily with everyone and, um, is easy to work with, has a great, you know, have a good work ethic, all these things. Have you had many situations if at any where something wasn't going smooth that you weren't getting along with someone on the road and possibly how, yeah, you, dealt, got, how you dealt with that? I got a good one for you. Mm -hmm. um, I was with, uh, who was I with? We were with uh, this this electronic guy called Goldroom I, I work with, but okay. he brings a, a full band out. Great, great band. Um, and, you know, sometimes you play great places like Webster Hall in New York, and then the next night you find yourself in some dump in Albany like we did. And I won't mention the name, but I'll say it wasn't the hollow. Um, okay. And let's just say this was a place that had a restaurant there mm -hmm. and, you know, like a casual restaurant. We're not fine dining or anything, just, right. you know, pizzas, beers, whatever. So we go in, we're loading in and the, the sound guy comes in and he's, I can tell, he's just like this grumpy guy who probably hasn't gone, I don't know, can I say this? He probably hasn't gone late in a while right, or right. hasn't had something go right in a while. And he starts cranking up the system. I'm like, 
And he puts on this really obscure prog rock band. I'm going to throw out a name that you've probably never heard of called the Liquid Tension Experiment. I don't know if you know that, but never it's, heard it's, of basic, <laughs> it's basically Dream Theater with Tony Levin playing bass. Okay. Great fucking band yeah. um, that no one's heard of. I'm like, oh my God, this guy's heard of Liquid Tension Experiment. Maybe we'll be friends. So you, you know? knew that you knew that when he started playing it, you knew what he was playing. I knew this ridiculously obscure gotcha. thing where he was like cranking the fuck out of the system. <laughs> I'm like, okay, cool. So we we go in, he does his whatever, you know, he he tunes the room or whatever you want to call whatever he was doing. Mm-hmm. And we go and we take stage and then I put on my music <laughs> to properly turn a room for my ears. Okay. And he just starts bitching, like, you can't be playing music right now. We have a we have a a restaurant happening here. I'm like, okay, but I just watched you just like blast this like really, really like, you know, 30 second notes for six minutes tuning your system. So I just assumed it was cool. No one's told me. So we'll work this out. And he just, he just had a chip on his shoulder the whole time to the point where like the owner came in and told me I had to like stop touching the desk. And it was at that moment that I was like, okay, I've never had to do this, but I'm getting on the phone with my agent. Because fuck this, this is this is this is so stupid, and this is like some little pisshole venue. Yeah, that like it, it's just showing like how this would never happen in like a real room, mm-hmm. right? Because like these personalities would have been weeded out hopefully long before. But the situation was what it was. I got on the phone with the agent, calmly explained the situation that I can't do my job right now because they won't physically let me touch the mis- mixing board, a console I even owned, mm-hmm. so had complete knowledge of using. And the agent basically got on the phone with the owner and told him how it was going to be. And it was told him, you know, you can either pay these guys right now and we'll leave or you can get this engineer out of here, let them work properly and set up the show and have a show and pay them after. So let's just say that engineer wasn't there that night. Boom. After that. That's what So, okay. yeah. But that's like the only time. Yeah. And that's just a props to everyone in our industry because, you know, word travels fast. If you're a dick, people are going to hear about it. So don't be a dick, mm-hmm. you know, don't, don't talk more than you, you can chew, you know, don't, don't spit out all these things, especially if you don't, you don't know what you're talking about. So, mm-hmm. but beyond that, just be respectful. I, I wouldn't have cared if it, if they hadn't been, you know, if they had just shown a little respect, but it's like, even I have my limits too. And I, I, pulled the band off stage and I'm like, I need to make a phone call right now before we do anything. And I fucking like let into them. Yeah. And you know, luckily it worked out. I mean, I would never want to put a band in jeopardy, especially when I'm, I'm working for that. My attitude somehow causes the show to not go as, as well. But I also need to stick up for my band knowing that the situation that we're being presented is not one that we can properly work in and give the show that we want to give. And that's what I'm here to represent. So if it takes a phone call to an agent, then so be it. That's their job. Yeah. Exactly. You know, I'm not one of these guys to complain about little things. I've, I've dealt with so many broken things or this, that, and the other, and you roll with it. But like there you got there's got to be a, a starting level of some sort of respect. And yeah. if you're not getting that, then you need to either ask for it or you need to leave. Mm-hmm. So exactly. Yeah. I mean, I, I've never had to do that personally, but I've been in situations where like my production manager, tour manager, or someone like that has had to call the agent, you know, and make a few adjustments when we get there because. Right. You know, I'm not that guy. Like, and unfortunately, like I'm usually the only guy. So I'm, I'm, I'm driving. Yeah. That's crazy how Uh, (laughs) I was kind of, as I was going through your stuff, I was like, damn, I feel like you've done so many, so many of these tours, like either by yourself or maybe with one other person. All by myself. The only. 
Personal the only time I've yeah. ever had anyone mm-hmm. for a crew is is the Vintage Trouble gig. Was that, um, was that and Kevin? And the architecture help. That was Kevin Husby. Kevin, yeah. Husby, yeah. He's a great dude, and he's making awesome hot sauce. Yeah, yeah, he's he's sending me some right now. Shout out um, to, hold on, I wrote it down, Heartbreaker Hot Sauce, right? Heartbreaker yep. Hot Sauce, Heart, yeah. Hit him up. On Instagram, at Heartbreaker Hot Sauce CO, and order your special hot sauce today. I have a, I'm going to order some, too. It's Yeah, I can't wait. It should be in the mail to me on Wednesday. Hell um, yeah. So, yeah, I had, for Vintage Trouble, I was doing front of house and monitors. We had... Uh, a guy doing merch mm-hmm. and we had a guy and we had Kevin and that's we had a tour manager. Okay. Um, that's the largest team I've been a part of. I went out and did monitors many years ago for architecture in Helsinki. The only time I've been hired to, to specifically do monitors and we had a front of house guy and a tour manager, but every other tour I've been on, like I'm wearing every hat, be it driving, even sometimes selling merch, yeah. but certainly running all aspects of audio and tour managing and, you know, call production managing, whatever you want to call it, just call it like, you know, Adam's here to do whatever, but play. <laughs> so uh, I think this is a really good point here we could make. Um, I, I, w- I was wondering how how do you go about that? How do you value yourself? How do you you know create these sort of standards for based on how many positions you're undertaking? The standards of what my pay or yeah, your or mon- monetary wise, yeah, and how um, how, do, how that <laughs> how that has changed, if any, or what have you learned? most from that because I, I i've mentioned this before in some of my other interviews i feel like yeah. that whole aspect is was one of the the more challenging aspects that i had to sort of navigate when i started really getting into the business getting more gigs especially sure. being a freelancer you know so mm-hmm. well let me let me preface it by saying i was never wanting to tour manage i always wanted to just run front of house because that's that's my passion mm-hmm. that being said i feel like my brain is set up that i can tour manage um there's not necessarily like a book on it. It's just a lot of it is common sense and being organized and being sober enough to do the job and being good with people. Mm-hmm. So the first time I was ever asked to quote unquote tour manage, I was working in front of house for a guy who had just won American Idol named Lee DeWise. And they put this big band together, the whole thing, you know, hired the band, hired the production guy, all that. So I was just the tour manager until they real or I was just a front of house engineer until they realized like for whatever reason we weren't selling enough tickets and the whole thing was going to be streamlined to like a three piece acoustic thing after like three or four shows. And they said, well, can you do that? I'm like, sure. And you know, now all of a sudden I'm the travel agent. I'm all these other things that I'm like, Oh shit, I don't really love this, but I am here and I am good at this. And I will say, I don't like it when people waste my time on tour because Mm -hmm. it is so valuable. And there are many times when tour managers will just be like, well, yeah, we're just not doing anything here. We're just sitting at the venue for six hours. I'm like, well, I'd rather go out in nature or go find a, like a good local bite to eat or just anything other than fucking sit here. Mm-hmm. So for me being tour manager, it was like, okay, well, let's try to work these into the schedules and, and all that. And it was a job I grew to like to certain degrees. I've had to say no to certain aspects of tour managing. Most, most recently, like, I don't know if you've gotten these requests, but to like deal with social media stuff, it's like, no, 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 no. I'm not running your Instagram page. If you've right. ever seen me, like you, you don't want to, <laughs> one no and two like let me save you like a lot of like disappointed instagram fans right so you know just like stuff like that it's just like yeah. no i'm not in charge of like the pre-show interview and no like because i'm dealing with your guest list and i'm dealing yeah. with getting the band there and the production people and everyone at the venue like i only have so many hands and you know i already wear like a lot of hats and I'm, and I'm proud to do that. And I can, I do them as best as I can. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I feel like if there's one person doing all that, there's less things that can go wrong 
communication wise, especially on these shows that are a thousand or less people, you know, there's, there's not that many aspects to the show like that is different night to night. So it's good to just have one point of contact and I'm the person who advances the tour and guess what? I'm the person who shows up and tells you what we're bringing in and we actually bring it. So, you know, how many times have you gotten the wrong writer? Mm-hmm. You know, a lot. it's like, so a lot, <laughs> it's like the book of lies. So it's, yeah. it's like, yeah, I, I've, I've grown into it and I've, I've, Honestly, I don't want to say I've been forced into it, but in a way, like our industry has gotten rid of the the quote unquote tour manager job, unless you are at a level of let's say I don't know three thousand plus size venues, mm-hmm. and there's a budget for that, which is not the majority of bands, maybe mm-hmm. like two percent of bands. So, so just by me choosing to work with these bands that weren't major pop acts or whatever by choice, well, I had to fill in and and, and do these other jobs of tour managing and doing all the books and, and all that. So I have had to, you know, when I feel like I've haven't been able to say no, I've learned that no is sometimes the most important thing to tell them and to remind them, like, remember why I'm here in the first place. I'm here to make your band sound great. If I'm out like in the lobby dealing with your guest yeah. list that mm-hmm. you didn't turn in on time because your office person didn't send it, I can't be mixing the band in, in an arena and like be at the box office. So mm-hmm. Sometimes we need to, you know, there's usually communication can just help everything yeah. and what is understood and, you know, and, and try to bring out my best skills for the band that's hiring me. Um, that being said, I have now raised my rate to higher than it was at the beginning because why not? Because I'm way better at it because of simple things like inflation and shit costs more. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And I think people, you know. I, I've I've tried to maintain a standard. I think I keep my rate fairly low. Um, comparatively, compared to yeah, comparatively, like I tell mm-hmm. people sometimes my rate, and they're like, "What are you doing?" I'm like, "Well, I'm out there with my friends having a great time, and and you know, sometimes you do the gigs you don't want to to do the gigs that you do, mm-hmm. and you know, luckily I've been with bands of late that I just I love working with, and it's it's not my only form of income, so I am able to take you know creative liberty and work with bands maybe that pay a little less because I love working yeah, with their band or I love it's more of a passion with, sort of it's a passion yeah, you know yeah, it's yeah, like exactly yeah it's like I, I you know we are talking about my house in Silver Lake I'm mm-hmm. like the thing the house in Silver Lake has allowed me to afford being in the music industry and I say that like half laughing because like it's true if I didn't have that I wouldn't be able to afford to go out for some of the ludicrously low rates I've accepted because it's just not feasible but mm-hmm. because I've been able to you know have a few different eggs in different baskets like i've allowed myself to to do that and i and that's because i've had just tremendous support along the way with my family and 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 people who have really stuck by me to allow that to happen and and i know that most people aren't fortunate enough to uh to have that support so and and you don't have these you can't take gigs that aren't paying what you want even if it's of someone you really want to work for and you have to take a corporate route because maybe it's a little safer or mm-hmm. the money's a little better and they actually pay you over time when you go over eight hours and yeah, like yeah. that kind of stuff you know when i break down my my hourly rate it's like sometimes it's like six bucks an hour right it's crazy you know, not anymore like, not anymore but yeah. you're working 18 point, hour yeah. days yeah you're just like oh, jesus you know this is this is getting when, when you break it down like that you just want to cry but then you're also remembering like you're hanging out with your friends and it's 
it's we're living a life that so many people wish they could mm -hmm. live. So I'm I'm grateful for that, and I've never really made it about the money. Yeah, I think it's more about like committing to what you're willing to do for people and being honest about. Okay, yeah, that's that's too much. I can't do that. There's not enough hours in the day. Or I, yeah, I'm going to shut my phone off when it's 3 a.m. now, and mm -hmm. we have an eight o'clock because I need to get to, some rest. Yeah. You know, get some rest yeah. and deal with the next day's problems. Like, exactly. I don't need to deal with something at four in the morning that can be dealt with tomorrow. And it's learning like what what those things are. Yeah, you're setting. Being, you're basically setting boundaries. You're learning how to set boundaries in those positions sure. and yeah. in those situations. And over time, you're learning more about that and, and understanding what that entails through just your experiences, yes. you know. So yes. I think that's important to, to uh, note. Absolutely. So. Yeah, know your, know your limits. Be mm -hmm. honest with yourself and then, and then push it to that limit. Yeah. Keep pushing it to the limit. And take it as far as you feel comfortable with because, mm -hmm. you know, there's going to be a point where, like, there's a decline in, in what you're doing. Mm -hmm. Even if you think you're working harder and longer, you might not be – working smarter or better exactly well especially if you're in a position like when you when you're doing multiple positions on tour you know like you were saying earlier it's it's nice sometimes because there's less people involved so there's less room for error in, the, in that sense and the lines of communication stay a little stronger but also sure. it could also um affect you in a negative way as opposed as as far as like like not being able to focus so much on the mix aspect or, you know, right. other things may, may, um, may suffer because of that. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's really a big sacrifice on all of that. And, right. and, um, it, like you're, you mentioned just a second ago, I thought that was really important is it's really helpful to have a nice support system, you mm -hmm. know, someone, people that have your back, you know, that, um, kind of just help you get to those moments and understand how much you yeah. actually are sacrificing and uh, how big of a deal that is. And, right. and I can appreciate that and respect that right. about you. It's not as glamorous of a job as, as everyone makes it out in, in the exactly. media or, right. yeah. or yeah. in the movies or whatever. In the yeah. movies. Yeah. Any, any of that stuff. So yeah, yeah, exactly. It's, I mean, there are aspects of it, but yeah, it's most of my day doesn't revolve like around strippers and cocaine parties on buses. <laughs> Why fact, not? It never does. I know. I'm, I'm working with the wrong people. Or I just don't really care about those things is right. really what it is. Probably what it is. Yeah. I feel you on that. Yeah. Hell yeah, man. Well, uh, definitely, man. I've really been uh, had a great conversation here, man. I've learned a yeah, lot I've about you, man. Yeah, I've enjoyed this a lot. And, uh, and uh, we're going to be wrapping up here in a second. But um, okay. I definitely wanted to ask you um, if there's anything particular that you have been listening to these days and maybe possibly any favorite albums of 2020 so far. Oh, God. I got to open my Spotify for that. Um, let me see. I mean, I, I'm more of like a psych rock guy. So it's like okay. the bands that have been doing that lately, you know, bands you might know, like Tame Impala. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, they, brought, they know, dropped a new uh, record this year. Right. It was, it's fantastic. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, yeah. And, you know, I've been a fan of that band since the beginning. I, I will say for my taste, I like more of the guitar driven aspect of it, but I love where it's grown. I, it's one of the greatest bands to see live. I've seen them. 40 some odd times now because we've toured with them. I was going to say, because like, um, some of these are you're like 70 bands, 70 times with Fish, 40 times with Tame Impala. Like, yeah. I, would you say in the past 15 years or so that you've paid for a lot of these concerts or has just been working, mm. working them and stuff like that? Well, at the beginning, it was, of course, it was paying for yeah, a lot yeah. of these. I mean, I saw so many shows before I turned 22. And even to this day, I still pay to see shows oh, yeah. that I 
can't work myself into or, or whatever. And I have, I love doing that. It's the best way to support a band exactly. is to go out I and agree. see them and go buy their record. Yep. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I, like I'm a rock and roll. I mean, I, this band mini mansions I work with mm-hmm. like for a decade, like check them out. Like, and show them some love on Instagram at mini mansions. They are, to me, one of the, the greatest bands of our generation that no one knows. And and they're all in bigger bands that I'm sure you've all heard of. But the music from, from that project just has really spoken to me. Like we did a tour on a record last year that I love. I'm, I'm proud to have been a part of at least the live aspect of that record and trying to present that band in a way that they deserve to be presented. And we, you know, we got to play the Hollywood bowl twice with Arctic monkeys and we got to play our own headline show at the Terragram. And you know, that, that meant a lot to, to try to help this band that deserves so much to try to at least sonically have them come across the way that they want to and the way they deserve to, you know, that there's an intensity in that band that really needs to, uh, come forth. So, so bands like that, um, I don't know. I'm a fan of older music, man. I hate saying it, but it's just yeah. like, I, I don't want to sound like that old guy, but it's like, yeah, it's like, well, I still go back and listen to Zappa records and Zeppelin records and Stones records and, and all these things, because to me, they sound better. And I think the songs are better. And, you know, I could talk your ear off about what I think is wrong with music right now, but you know, there's a lot of great stuff out there and you just have to kind of pick, you know, pick it apart and, 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 and do deep dives, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to think like there's this guy, Lewis Cole, who I don't know if you know, Lewis, Lewis has actually played fire, but he's one of the greatest drummers you'll ever find. Okay. He has this this project called nowhere where he's been really ambitious, where he's been bringing these big horn sections out all around the world. Um, People like that, people like Blake Mills, like who's an acoustic singer songwriter. And Mm -hmm. like, you know, like I just, I'm a, a fan of talent and people like, giving their all and feeling that to me it's it's about it's not about like all the wrong notes that are played or whatever it's like is this person giving it their all and um so it's why i don't listen to necessarily like a lot of recorded music because it doesn't do for me what the live aspect does i mean that being said i listen to stuff all the time but it's usually older stuff i can't say there's a lot of new stuff out there that is just like oh my god this is so new and mind-blowing but I, I would love for people to write me and give me a whole list saying, no, you're wrong. Here's these yeah. bands of this band. And I, I can't wait to listen. Um, yeah. yeah. Do you feel that like, cause like you were saying earlier, you're, you're a rocker, you know, I've, I feel mm-hmm. very similar to you in that sense. Um, you know, a lot of your favorite bands are probably my favorite bands as well. Mm-hmm. And um, do you feel like. And shout out to the new tool record just for that. Hell record yeah. I mean, like, you know, them? come on. I mean, I've been waiting forever. I, 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 I saw Tool back in the day in 97. I've seen them oh, a nice. bunch of times. And I got to see them at the Staples Center in arguably one of the worst places you could probably see. On this last box. tour? On Fear Inoculum tour? On this last tour. tour. Okay. And, it, and, it was, it was, and this is a, just proof that you don't need a digital desk and all this shit to make things work. Mm-hmm. You know, um, you know I, I read a whole article. About, I forget who the engineer is. I know he's a well-known guy. But I mean, that was, that was one of the best sounding shows I've ever 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 seen i'll tell you i was really worried because the opening band sounded awful um it was like it was just to me it was on list i'm like oh my god if this is was that the, was, gonna, was that oh, what band is that they played at the viper i room. forget they were like this this Industrial? old british band oh no no okay. no i'm thinking of i forget band. what they were um 
but it sounded awful. I hate to say that, yeah, but yeah. It, I was I was genuinely worried. I'm like, oh man, Staples Center, it might not sound that good. Yeah. When Tool came on, it was insane. Dare right? I say, it was insane, and not only their performance, because <laughs> sure, but like whoever mixes them, and I know it's like I said, it's some well known guy. Like props, Snoop, man. Like or, that was. I would say it's like Snooby or Snowby or Nobby. I think that's he has a nickname. My, I think, I think yeah, his name is he, they all have nicknames. Yeah, that's exactly. when you know you've made it, right? When it's, you have a nickname. Exactly. I, I don't have a nickname yet. Um, uh, yeah. At least one, not not a positive one. People say <laughs> in my face. But uh, no, I mean that was one of the greatest shows I've ever seen. It like re, I was just like, oh my god, yes, it can sound good in an arena. And yes, and like I mean that's a band that you need to really appreciate the sonic just fortitude of that band mm-hmm. for it to come across, and it was. It was beautiful, man. It was yeah. one of the most just incredible shows I've ever seen. So yeah, like that new Tool record, like even though that's not a new band, like I listen to that record all the time. Oh, me too, man. Same, man. And I, I'll have to say that it was very, very important for me to see them on this cycle um, mm-hmm. and hear the new songs live. It was yeah. So I actually i I went to Australia for New Year's with Vampire Weekend. We came back, and oh, do you work for them? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh or, shit, not right Garrett's now, a, but, is, but yeah, you Garrett, know Garrett. Yeah. Garrett, I do so, know Garrett's so amazing. So remember we were talking about Fool's Gold? Oh, okay. He was in Fool's Gold? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know Play that. Play drums for Fool's Gold, yeah. I love Great Garrett. Drummer. Garrett. One of the best feeling drummers I've ever heard. Yeah. Incredible drummer. Yeah. He's playing a acoustic, a mixture of acoustic kit and uh, mm-hmm. percussion. I saw that. He's like Congo's the secondary bomber. drummer in yep, that band. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. They're... Great dude. Like in great musicians. Just, uh, yeah. So anyway, so there's another connection we get. Yeah, exactly. Right. Uh, but yeah, so we got back from uh, Australia. They were playing in Fresno and like a couple days before I just, I went online. I spent like $200, I think probably mm-hmm. a little over $200 about my, I was 10th row center. Beautiful. It was so worth it, man. It was yeah. insane. So I went up there by myself. Yeah, I just yeah. had a great time. Just smiled uh, the whole time. Oh, yeah, man. Singing, <laughs> rocking out. At first, it was kind of weird because it was seated. You know, it was, it was mm-hmm. all reserved seating. That was the first time I ever right. seen Tool in that setting. Usually, yeah. at least it's general mission on the floor. So sure. it was definitely weird at first because I was pumped. And I'm, I, you know, if anyone that's been to a concert with me, I get into it, you know. So I was rocking out. And, but then, like, and then I think everyone was just sort of in awe watching them. I think that's yeah. the general reaction. They're just kind of like, whoa, right. trying to grasp. Well, the fun- <laughs> yeah. And the funny thing is I know they put on one of the greatest visual shows. And from my seat at the Staples Center, I couldn't see a damn thing of it. Because we were literally, oh. the front of the band was lined up in my perspective. So I, I knew there was a screen. Oh, there, you were like side stage or something? like looking- Basically side stage. So gotcha. if anything, like the visuals couldn't distract me from anything audio-wise. And because the audio was so pristine mm-hmm. – I think it made it probably a better experience. I'd love to see the band again with the new visuals and mm-hmm. get the whole show. But if, if it was a matter of seeing the show versus hearing it, I'm glad I heard it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, man. It, it was really awesome to hear all the new songs live. Yeah. And, uh, that was special. Great man. Band. And yeah. It sounded amazing. Uh, Maynard had a few points. I felt like he was a little tired at points. You know, mm-hmm. he was, I feel like he was straining just a little bit on some of the higher notes, but sure. otherwise he was solid, man. And yeah, not was, easy it, stuff to sing. Not at all, man. It's, it was pretty amazing. Yeah. And they looked like they were having fun, to be honest with yeah. you. Yeah. Maynard was That's what, off that, a little bit. That was nice. I've seen them in the late 90s, early 2000s where it didn't look like they were having fun. And like yeah. Maynard had his back to the audience. And, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, Tool is one of those bands that they're just, you know, anyone who knows what I'm talking about knows I don't need to say this. It's mm-hmm. just like they are their own entity. It's like you try to say what Tool sounds like. It's like, well, they sound like Tool and no one else sounds like them. Exactly. And no one else behaves like them in this kind of rock, 
you know, I don't want to call it arrogance. It's not arrogance. It's just like, we know we're badass. We know we're huge. Yeah. And, and we're, we're rocking your fucking face off right now. Yeah. I mean, and, and there's something with that attitude that makes you as an audience member feel that like, yeah, like I, I'm rocking out with the greatest band right now. Oh yeah. Exactly, man. Yeah, it was, it was great, man. And I highly mm-hmm. recommend, uh, you know, anyone checking out their show when they eventually, hopefully it gets back on, on the road, but yeah. Yeah, man, that was definitely one of the more exciting uh, moments of the last year. Was when that record dropped, I was on, I was oh, on yeah. the road, and I was so oh, excited. Yeah, and, yeah and they uh, finally put the music back online. Mm-hmm. So yep. you know, it's like I had all that shit on CD, but I don't know where I have a CD player other than my car. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so you can't even listen to it. So I remember, I think I was in Prague when it happened, and they were like, "We're putting out a new record, and here's all the stuff." I went on this like ten mile hike and listened to every Tool record. Hell it was yeah. just like. I was just like, hell yes. Like I'm, I'm back, baby. Like these right. guys are back. Like this is, this is good stuff. This is, we need more of this. It was food for the soul in that moment, man. Cause mm-hmm. you know, for me too, when I listen back to those records, I definitely have it, it, uh, you know, sparks memories and situations I was in. I can remember certain moments, you know, where I was listening to that record or having an experience listening to that record. And so it, they're, they're definitely one of my favorite bands in, in that sense. And absolutely. Yeah. Definitely holding close to my heart. So absolutely and yeah. and luckily i was a little it was wasn't something i was expecting but i, I got to meet maynard because um mm. uh i was at the viper room and i uh, was mixing the band ashes divide which is billy howardale from a perfect circle smashing and you're smashing pumpkins too right um uh, or, or oh, no no you're right you're right yeah yeah he, he was he was just in his uh with perfect his circle. own thing right yeah and right. he had ashes divide and they did a residency at the viper room and the last show Maynard came out and we were doing sound check and oh, I was wow. on stage with the band doing, I was like helping him out doing something. I turn around, I heard someone's voice and turn around as Maynard like sitting right there in front of us and he's wow. talking shit to everyone. And I bet. Yeah. It was cool. <laughs> and then we, we talked a little bit about Mike's by like a little later and stuff. So that was kind of cool. I had a little moment with him and, and I was a little nervous cause you know, they say, don't meet your heroes cause you know, they're usually assholes mm-hmm. and, 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 but I had a great experience with Maynard. So oh, that's that great, just made man. it even more, uh, yeah special for me that band and everything so that happened to me with with chris cornell i just just yes let's talk about chris for a second here well chris i mean you know i never knew chris until we went on tour with him but like i said soundgarden was like the third show i ever went to a Mm -hmm. huge soundgarden fan and you know and everything he's done the audio slave stuff just i mean what what a voice Mm -hmm. right and and coming to get to meet him, albeit briefly, like my first ever tour was opening up for Chris Cornell, and we were direct. Support. Yeah, yeah. So you were with Crash Kings, right? Crash Kings, great I band. Love Check that band, out. man. They were Just, one of the bands that played at Viper Room. They did. I probably and did that show with you. Were, they okay. bring that crazy the P, white, yeah, the, yeah, the white knight. Yeah, yeah exactly. That was me. Yeah. Okay. So. Yeah, so. Maybe that's so where we great, met shit. <laughs> so, so great band. Yeah. Um, but, you know, just getting to watch. I remember seeing him the first night. I was like, oh, man, like this tour is going to get canceled. How can you sing like that for a whole tour? Like you're going to lose your voice. Mm-hmm. Nothing. Never missed a note. Never missed a show. Never anything. I mean, I, I, I can't say I'm a huge fan of the record that we toured on with him. Like his solo scream record. There's a few cool things on there. But as a vocalist, oh, my God, what what a voice and, and what a presence he's, I mean, he's a huge dude. And that one hit me hard. I remember I was in China when that happened and yeah. I, I knew before people, cause we were just a time zone thing. Oh, yeah, it's like, yeah. Oh man, like that, that was a tough, tough one. But
and I don't know what that, you know, there's a, life is short and music is kind of infinite in terms of what you can tap into. Sure. And I always felt sort of like, um, you know, no matter how hard I work, I'm only going to have ever barely scratched the surface. You know, talk about meeting your heroes and, and then like it going okay. Like, mm-hmm. you know, one of my greatest moments, he came out and sang War Pigs with the band. Oh, yeah, yeah. And this is a testament to how good the band is. Is like we've been we were playing War Pigs all tour long, and he agreed to do it with us at the at the Wilter in the final show. Okay. Except the band had to learn it in the key that he was willing to sing it in. Oh shit! So they had to like transpose this whole thing with like twenty four hours notice, and and just slayed it. I oh, mean, yeah. it was it was great, but just like oh my god, like I got my 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 finger on Chris Cornell's vocal, like. Now, this is the very first tour I've ever done. Yeah, yeah. That's, um, that's, those moments were quite special, it was a, man. It was, it, was, it was really special. And I still go back and look at like old YouTube videos of that. I'm just like, man, like, that's what this is all about. Like, yeah. you know, meeting your heroes and then them actually turning out to be pretty cool people. And I'd say, you know, most of the people in this industry are pretty cool, mm-hmm. like compared to just the average Joe you meet on the street. Like, yeah. we're lucky. So luckily they don't disappoint that much. I guess I don't work with big enough pop stars and that for them to then disappoint me. I'm still working with people who are like, I've kept their own ego in check. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's definitely a different game when you go to those sort of levels, the pop, yeah. pop stardom and stuff, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's a definitely a different ball game altogether. They're, they're dealing yeah. with a lot more things that sure. we don't, re- we don't realize. Of course. Um, yeah. So it just adds a lot of pressure on them and, and you know, it's sometimes it's not easy to deal with and, Especially depending how it seems like a lot of more pop stars are younger, maybe to some degree, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course. a lot more pressure, just a lot more. So all that kind of comes less into play. life experience, all that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I guess it's why I choose the gigs I choose. Yeah, which is great, man, <laughs> and uh, I definitely admire you for that, man, and uh, you know, wish you nothing but continued success moving forward. And, Same uh, to you, man. I hope we get to rock and roll together one of these days yes, in the very too. near future. Yeah, so when a fire pit gets up and rolling, man, you know, if you ever need help with anything, I'll let you know. Set up anything I'll up. Let you know. Just let me Absolutely. know. Absolutely. Are you living in LA right now? Uh, I'm out in like an Inland Empire right now, but okay. you cool. know, close enough. Right on. So, but yeah, man, yeah, I'm right. going to go ahead and uh, just wrap this up then, man, and just okay. say thank you again for joining me, Adam, on the Dirty Decibel. Thank you, man. And, uh, it's a pleasure. Yeah, always, little, man. little therapy. That's right, buddy. Well, you take care. Audio man. therapy. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. my, my girlfriend calls it occupational therapy. I'm like, occupational therapy. There, there you go, go baby. Yeah. So, yeah, all right, Adam. Well, we'll talk soon. All right, brother? Thank you. All right, peace. is a wrap episode 12 is officially in the books kobe swish all right all right all right well you know i have to say that was definitely a fun episode to be a part of because you know being that adam and i have known each other for quite a while now this really was the first time we were able to kind of go beyond the surface you know and just get deep with it you know making me realize just how similar some of our life experiences have been to where now, I'm even more excited for Adam as he builds upon the success of the Fire Pit Sessions and continues to bring an unforgettable musical experience 
to the Los Angeles and to the Joshua Tree artistic communities. So I hope you all enjoyed listening to the episode and we're just able to kind of get a little something something from it. That being said, I do want to say thanks again to Adam Layboff for joining me on the Dirty Decibel and just being so open about his ups, his downs, and his all arounds. <laughs> Thank you so much, brother. I really appreciate you. You are awesome. So make sure you all hit him up on the socials and show him some of that love on Instagram at Adam underscore Labov and on Facebook at Adam Labov, one word. But most importantly, please, 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 please check out firepitsessions.com. That way you can watch and hear some of LA's most amazing musicians tear it up in Adam's backyard. It is so freaking cool. I'm telling you, you gotta check it out, okay? And after that, you know, after that, please holler at us over here at The Dirty Decibel on Instagram and on Facebook at The Dirty Decibel Podcast. All right? Bless us with the follow. Hit, hit, hit us with some likes. Please share with your friends because that would be nice. <laughs> I don't know where I'm going, but I like where I'm at, okay? Anyways, you guys know what I'm saying. So make sure y'all stay tuned for the next episode via our socials. And also, feel free to hit me up and drop me a note through email, info at thedirtydecibel.com. All right, and please don't forget that if you do listen to the show via Apple Podcasts, please take like six, seven, 13 seconds to rate, to subscribe, or to leave a review for you <laughs> of the show. That way, because uh, your support and your feedback, I don't know what I'm going, I got lost for a second, but check this out. Leave a review, rate it, or subscribe, because that shit helps. You know what I'm saying? That shit helps. So please, I need your help. I need your help. Come on, you know, you can feel that. You feel the love? Okay. Seriously, thank you though. Thank you very much. Anyways, I'm gonna wrap this up. Okay, so until next week, my friends, please just stay safe. You know, a good thing to a good thing to start doing every morning is to make your bed. All right, and then also, if you by chance don't know what your passion is, you should try to look into that. Try to figure it out. And once you do, follow that mofo to the ends of the earth and make it your patch. Okay. Anyways, I love you guys. You guys take care. We'll see you next time. Peace. Next week for episode 13 of the Dirty Decibel featuring Jessica Goodwin, professional musician and drummer for the band Wind River Revival. Invitation sent. Goodbye.